I am such an idiot. It's so simple. The Borg hurt you, and now you're going to hurt them back. In my century, we don't succumb to revenge. We have a more evolved sensibility. Bullshit! I saw the look on your face when you shot those Borg on the holodeck. You were almost enjoying it. How dare you? Oh, come on, Captain. You're not the first man to get a thrill from murdering someone. I see it all the time. Get out! Or what? You'll kill me? Like you killed Ensign Lynch? There was no way to save him. You didn't even try. Where was your involved sensibility then? I don't have time for this. Oh, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your little quest. Captain Ahab has to go hunt his whale. Do you expect me to talk? Good afternoon or good night. Welcome to episode 52 of Do You Expect Us to Talk? I'm your host Becca and joining me are boys are Chris and Dave and Charlie from Films on Wax. How are you all doing? Good, thank you. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm, uh, I'm excellent. Excellent. Tonight, we're discussing Perfect. First Contact. <gasps> Deep Breath. Starring Patrick Stewart. Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, LeVar Burton, Gates McFadden, Marina Sirtis, Michael Dawn, Alfred Woodard, James Cromwell and Alice Creed, with a cameo from Robert Picardo and Dwight Schultz if you can spot them, with a score by Jerry Goldsmith, yay, written by Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore and directed by Jonathan Two Takes Frakes and released in 1996. So what do we reckon? Chris, engage. <laughs> All right, okay. Um, <laughs> I... It- First Contact is a film of two halves. Is like it's got two different narratives working working parallels alongside each other. One's uh, essentially like about the beginnings of how the Federation kind of started. You know how Earth, you know, first came came in first contact with aliens, and the other one is basically die hard in space with the Borg. Um, it's it's enjoyable. Uh, I I don't think it's. I don't think it works as well as its possible reputation. I, 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 I don't know. Does it have a positive reputation, First Contact? Absolutely, yeah. Does, yeah. Yes. I don't think it's like that good. I think it's satisfactory in, in terms of as an entertaining watch. But I think if you're going to overanalyze it, it falls... It, it, I think it's pretty light. It's pretty weak, really. I think a lot of the stuff with the ball we've seen before um, and it doesn't really make sense... Um, and the stuff on on Earth just feels a little bit. I don't know. I mean, there's not much to it. I mean, you got James Conwell is the is it James Conwell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got that right. Yeah, uh, he's he's the the guy who um invades like the the spaceship that gets seen by Vulcans and they decide, oh, we'll go and visit Earth. Um, and that's and and the only thing to that plot is like 
he, he, he doesn't want to do it. He gets freaked out at the fact that people from the future have, got, have come down and visit. They convince him to do it. He does it. There, there you go. Um, and there's not much to... You know, that, that, that could have been digged out a lot more, I thought, had they not done the whole, like, you know, the Borg diehard plotline on the Enterprise. Uh, but... And there isn't, it, there isn't really a lot there. We do get to see, you know, Troy's drunk acting, which is <laughs> fun. Uh, I, li- but, I like a line. There's, there's, no, there's no time. Talk about time. <laughs> there, there isn't. There isn't like a lot. I mean, like, they, there were other ideas that could have explored. I would. I, I felt, um, and it just kind of went into a bit more like you know, action shooty shooty kind of stuff. Um, and I, I just thought like. Borg can try and travel, wouldn't they? Just wouldn't the Borg just fucking just go in there and just take over Earth anyway? Because that's how the Borg are. I don't, I, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a possible fan, but I, it, it was an insane watch. I, you know, it, it, I don't think it's great, but I, I think it, it's funny because I, I, I kind of felt this. This came out the same year as uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, isn't it? Year before. Was it year before? I'm pretty sure it was yeah. the same time. Okay, I, I kind yeah. of, I kind of felt almost like, exactly a year in it in, in the US. I kind of felt like this was like, like Star Trek's answer to uh, um, Tomorrow Never Dies. It's just very, yeah, it's a bit up, isn't it? Very lightweight, very throwaway, but enjoyable at the same time. And I kind of had that same sort of vibe to it. Um, I'm, I'm so, uh, <laughs> so Star Trek fans <laughs> are probably like shouting at the. <laughs> I, I have phones now and laptops going like you idiot uh, but no yeah it, it, it was entertaining um, guys what do you think it's 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 a movie so, <laughs> well. what what, so what they've decided to do is just take all of the kind of nuances and characterization and anything that was kind of effective previously of the encounters of the Borg and the next generation crew and just dumb it down completely um, it's a well made film it's a well constructed film it works, it's entertaining, but it's so derivative and can't decide what it wants to be. Does it want to be a fish out of water story? Does it want to be an action film? Does it want to be a a thing, a drama about Picard and what happened to him in the Borg and what is essentially um, a, uh, a metaphor for um, rape survival? Um, and it kind of fails at most of these things. The action stuff is okay, but again, it feels like Die Hard or Aliens. And considering you've got Picard at the head of it, who is not an action guy, um, and again, that's sort of thing we discussed last time we were talking about Generations, is the tendency for these films to, again, put Patrick Stewart in the Arnold Schwarzenegger mode of uh, running around with big guns and... Um, being all good and it just doesn't work um and the fact that they took what was sensibly such a terrifying um and unbeatable villain and just neuter them completely um in several ways not least was making it all about the Borg queen um which is she's basically the MacGuffin, which is basically like the droid control ship in um, The Phantom Menace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kill her, all the Borg die. That's kind of... and Because um, that breaks away what the Borg actually are, is that right? That's like... That yes, kinda, it does, it entirely. Because kind of, yeah. 
Because I, I always thought, well, I watched the, with knowing that, I always thought, well, instead of the Borg Queen, wouldn't you just like have someone from Picard's past, like a, a crew member or someone, who is now assimilated as a Borg, and the Borg just like using him primarily towards Picard as uh, to kind of get at him and use him as like the sort of the main central Borg figure, you know, as you will, but it kind of makes sense. You know, there, there's some logic to it, you know, but it's not like, it's like oh, well, there's a head of it. I would have thought well, that would have been slightly a better angle than just like, oh, well, there's Queen and Picard says he, mem- he remembers her when he was assimilated, even though she was nowhere to be seen at all. In the... Yeah, it's, it, yeah it's, it's a bit weird. It's like, hmm, how, how does he remember? Hmm. It's the usual thing again, and they did it with aliens. Um, and this is not to say anything against aliens, which is, again, this film is derivative of, and which is an amazing, amazing film. But when you look at eight, they went from alien and the terrifying creature that it was, and how to use that term alien it was in terms of how it worked and what you knew about it and what you didn't know about it and didn't know about you always saw was eggs, but you didn't know exactly what the process was. Whereas aliens basically turns all the aliens, the, the thing that was so powerful in that film into cannon fodder and then gives it a, a, a big main villain at the end. And again, in Star Trek, this is it's it, again it's it's the Khan factor it's the need for there for there to be this big villain to be there for the uh, for the main hero to to face and uh, and and conquer and i mean that's taking nothing against away from alex um alice Krieger's performance because she is really good um yeah the makeup's really good and there's there's a couple of really like the mind-blowing shots in here like for instance the uh the open shot where it all kind of pulls out and again that's another example of where you've got all these shows all these jillions and jillions of borg and yeah the borg cube gets destroyed stupidly um but of how terrifying that was and then it's just this one bird who sorry that's really oh, sexist sorry. i'm sorry um some chick where, Admittedly, was he was... meant one piece of ass, listeners? I'm really, <laughs> I'm really sorry, listeners. Well, well, one piece of torso, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah, literally one section of it. Yeah, there was, there was. Admittedly, that that kind of whole scene where she kind of comes down and hooks on her and that. But yeah, the music's really good. Um, the music by Joe Goldsmith and Joel Goldsmith, his son, because Joe Goldsmith at the time was working on. Another film that I can't remember. Um, so, yeah. see if you can check that film out, listeners. It sounds great. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very and as, title. As, as as a huge Joe Goldsmith fan, that's really embarrassing to have that's to gonna, say. That's that. going to annoy you, isn't it? Um, what is it? I don't know. I'm going to Google it. Um, so, because of that, um, and because at, at that time he was doing double duty, or had had to go on to another film, similarly to what um, has just happened with Alexandre Desplat. And um, Michael Giacchino on, on Star Wars Rogue One. Um, so, so basically, his son Joel Goldsmith, who is a good, respective composer in his own right, um, then uh, he came on and uh, and and did quite, uh, probably about thirty-five um, percent of the music. Um, the Ghost in the Darkness—that was what the issues were. Which was another Paramount film from around the same time. Yeah, you think it's the same studio, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, so because of delays with that. So yeah, and and but, I mean that main theme is just incredible. The main theme's um, beautiful. Yeah, but 
it's i don't want to say off because it is a well-made film but there's so many things and we can get into them later again when we kind of go through it again and again and again of of just how much of a disappointment this this film it really is um i mean as as an it's it's chris was talking about its reputation earlier generally people put it behind wrath of khan in their in their rankings yeah um, and but it averages. It, if you take the reboots out for a minute, it, yeah. tends, it tends to be second or third, doesn't it? Yeah. Very occasionally fourth, mm. but yeah, it's it's always but, up there. Yeah, and and again, people kind of a lot of non-Star Trek fans drawn to it because of the kind of action stuff, and again because of the, the fish out of water stuff, which is kind of a very kind of bland reheated version of um, Voyage Home anyway. Um, and could you say like this reaction is because it it tries to be like master of all 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 traits and well it, it tries to be jack of all traits but master of jack none. Jack of all traits, master of none. You know, it, yeah, it, just, it, it, just... it, it, it kind of like lightly touches on on every sort of thing that like uh, fans would probably possibly look for, but it it's not great either of them. But it kind of has them all kind of central in one film, so that's probably why uh fans kind of like it because it's, it's kind of one of the the go-to ones it's like oh which, which one's gonna satisfy every urge in in in, in one sitting well, they, well this is probably the best shot really you know unless it's like rapper Khan, you know this is yeah no yeah yeah it, it does and but, but because it does that because so they've got those concurrent lines there first of all they've got the borg taking over uh the enterprise and being at home there so they've got to do that or the, they've got the, the ship, um, the, the the Phoenix, and the, all the Zephyr and Crocker and stuff from the bloody Roy Orbison. Um, <laughs> there is, well, I hate that scene so much. Um, yeah, I've all and, the um, Roy Orbison songs to pick as well. Got <laughs> um, Pretty Woman, no? <laughs> and uh, and then and then the kind of stuff with Danger. I, don't, I don't, well. don't think they can afford Elvis. That's, <laughs> that's and, yeah, cheap cheap man's poor yeah, man's basically. Elvis. And, and and again because the the, the data storyline which again is interesting but it's just like an after it feels like an afterthought because there's so much other stuff to pile in um, and so you're kind of you're satisfied at the end but only barely and it's only it's it's a good it's it's the kind of film where you can watch it and enjoy it and then you start to think of it and it falls apart. It also has an issue for me. What I've noticed from watching a few genera- uh, next generation episodes, um, there's no real attachment to the. There's no real sort of emphasis on the the ship's crew as as opposed you know, aside from like your main cast. You know, I, I always thought like there was some acknowledgement or there's some sort sort of sense in the original films and the original series that you sense of like you know they've got a big span of. You know, network of of different people working on different parts of the ship, whereas in next gen it just feels very much like it feels almost abandoned in some places. You know, it's like it's like the ship's getting taken over, which obviously all these crew members are getting killed, and it's like, so what? It's just like, you know, there's no sense of. Yeah, I mean, to be to be fair, they do kind of establish that with Lieutenant Hawk, and and that kind of it might must be one of Neil McDonald's earliest films as well. Because yeah, um, he's really young in this. I, to me, um, to me, to me it, it's like as soon as he turned up, it's like, okay, well, you're the disposable cast member, then, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm showing uh, up yeah, literally to die. Well. Yeah, and it's a, yeah, and it was kind of a shame because he was he was quite a decent guy. But that's the thing: the the one kind of character that they bring in 
um, externally on the uh, on the enterprise really um, gets borgified. I'd like to comment also on how quick he gets assimilated. Oh yeah, the, I, I don't know how long these things take, but it's just like yeah. Yeah, that, that was a bit quick, you know, hmm, a bit convenient. Well, that's um, the thing. Yeah, it's it's all very much kind of. They spent a lot of money on the Borg, and I, I, I'm not convinced that they look as good as they did in the show. Was was that a new talent thing they could do? Like by touching them, they could like assimilate them. From that? Yeah, they, they yeah they kind of they kind of you used to see them on the TV show being like led away, almost like they were in some kind of trance. Hmm. Um, but they certainly didn't look infected. This is this is almost like a, you almost imagine it as some sort of nanobot stroke virus. Yeah, yeah this, this is completely different. This is um, this is we've got a budget now. Yeah, they've <laughs> got money to assimilate rather than yeah. Because that again that there's there's an, as one of the scenes where they get someone gets borgified, um, sorry assimilated. <laughs> borgified. I like borgified better. <laughs> and you see these little kind of tentacle things come out of his uh, fing- fingers or whatever and go into his neck and then start and then which I'm guessing is injecting some kind of nanobot type thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and again, it's it's like that. Kind of, you remember that kind of stuff, and you think, yeah, that was that was pretty good. That was pretty effective. <laughs> and it looked but, good, yeah. Yeah, but it kind of, and that's the kind of stuff that distracts away from the other stuff that isn't so good. Um, but I've probably rented enough now, so let's, let's see what Dave thinks. Ah. <laughs> oh dear. There's the rub. <laughs> if if I had recorded this show, having approached this film off memory. I'd have been a lot more positive, but I watched it this afternoon. And if there's one thing I'm I'm good at, but it has downsides too, I'm good at watching films with fresh eyes, with really kind of... And it, but it does mean that films I like, I sometimes change my mind on and vice versa. Or I have at least good and bad viewings of the same film. And I had a really bad viewing of this today. I, I think that... I've got all sorts of problems with every scene, really. As we go through the film, I, I, we put it out to the vote this time, um, commentaries. And I was quite happy when Generations was chosen because I just thought there's a lot of fun in that, things to take the piss out of. Uh, we'll Shannon's stick with cooking that. skills, for one. Yeah, we'll stick with it. <laughs> we'll, we'll, stick, we'll stick with that, but I kind of wish it was this now. Because all the way through, I was just thinking, God, I wish I was talking like on air about this. Because all the way through, I've got enormous, enormous problems with the logic of it. Um, and the other thing is, it some of the action's done quite well. And Frakes does have a pretty decent eye. I do like the new Enterprise, much more cinematic, frankly, because it's longer. The other one was a lot more squat and more suited to a four by three ratio. Um, but the dialogue seems to fall loosely into two categories. It's either humour and crap humour at that or it is very very clunky exposition and they don't even vary the exposition all the way through it's somebody asserting something somebody on the crew usually repeating the same thing back to them but with a question mark on the end and then them explaining what that is and this is supposed and it is really really lazy and as I alluded to towards the end of our review last week, there's also an awful lot of somehow plot points. Um, this, this the, the, as an antagonist, the board don't come across as particularly scary. There's no logic in the way they're beaten. There's no logic in the way they attack as much as anything else. 
and I just find it it pisses on quite a few things we've seen before in terms of time travel and everything else. We start to see the sort of beginnings of them fetishizing the ship, which they carried on doing in later series of Star Trek. And I actually now I am almost at the end of a journey from thinking this was a very good film to actually thinking this is a very poor film. I just wanted to say when you were talking about the uh, the exposition and the expository dialogue, um, one one thing really stood out when I was watching it earlier is when it all happens and um, uh, and when when the Borg do their do their thing and says they're they're creating a temporal vortex and then Riker just goes time travel. There's chronometric particles coming from it. I'm thinking, yeah, you've got some fucking amazing sensors on that shit. <laughs> um, and, and, and you know, and it's what an interplexing beacon. And someone goes, interplexing beacon, and then they tell him what it is. And it's like, well, you've all done much the same fucking training. How come you instinctively know what it is? And I yeah, do, un- you know? I, I do understand the whole point of exposition. Characters have to talk about things to explain it to us, but they don't even vary it. It just comes off as extremely lazy. It's, it's, like, the first, go- it's like the first 10 minutes, just like, well, you know, for, for people who haven't seen The Next Generation, here's, here's the stuff about what's happened in the Borg and things like that, you know, with Picard. You know, it's like, well, you know, you, you assimilate before, weren't you? Oh, yes. Well, you're, you should be the perfect man to lead this mission. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is this is, um, this is is the moment we feared for six years or whatever he says. Well, you weren't that worried last year when the Borg, or two years ago on the show when the Borg were a fucking disorganised mess. <laughs> um, no, you've not. encountered them countless times. You've made decisions about the Borg and, and how you treat them. It, None of that makes sense. And when he turns up, he beats them fucking instantly, but kind of not, and that doesn't make sense. The Borg have invaded. Really? How many ships? One. Oh. It's like, don't put that dialogue in. You've just drawn attention to the fact that that's fucking bollocks. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the, that, that'll do for now. Did he even explain how they actually... Got on board, yeah. Oh, they, they uh, teleported, didn't they? So, yes, yeah, 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 they did, Chris. Um, somehow. Yeah, we, we don't know how that <laughs> happened. Somehow they did. Oh, what, I don't, what I don't get is they, they spend, like, a unusual amount of time not revealing it's Borg, even though we already identified it's the Borg. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's done from, like, their point of view. I mean, like, okay, mm. fair enough, the first thing when they take out uh, the... Um, First to like uh, Enterprise crew, but then they like, kind of like establish oh like the Borg of like of a thing, and then they're banging on the uh, on the door of uh, of, of sick bay, and like and Chris is escaping, and, uh, and, 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 and and instead of like you know it's sort of like I mean you reveal there, it's like no, it's still doing the point of view. It's like Why what could they be? <laughs> no, it's like who are these creatures? <laughs> it's like well they might not be bought on there. I just don't. It just, it just didn't make sense that. But anyway, <laughs> it'd already been muted. I mean, the, actually, the last thing I'll just very quickly say on the point of Alice Krieger, I think they're kind of damned if they do and damned if they don't, because on the big screen, particularly if you want a varied audience in, you need to personify your villain somehow if you're going to have a villain in your film. So I can see why they did it, but it, it makes no sense with what came before. And I'm with Charlie. I think she's really good. I think the st- design of her is very good. I think the performance is very good, but it does it doesn't make a lick of sense any of it. I agree with you know what Chris was saying. Um, 
it's, it's very sort of tonally confused, thematically confused. It doesn't know what kind of film it wants to be. It kind of wants to be like an extended episode of the show, but at the same time, it's got to appeal to a, a broad mainstream audience. Um, and in the second half, it's really kind of where it falls down. Um, I say for me, yeah, it's Alice Krieg that's that. Um, I can't even say her name. Alice Krieg that makes this film. Um, but for me, I think she's terrifying. Um, and even in terms of like, if, you don't see her much, but she is. She's like the face of the Borg, obviously. Kind of like this great big. Um, the cube. I always call it a box, but <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's the ball cube, yeah. It's a ball yeah. cube. No, that's it. Yeah. So we've got, obviously, as you were saying, Dave, you need to kind of have somebody at, at the helm of it. Um, but yeah, I think she she makes this film basically. Um, in terms of the script, it is very sort of techno babble heavy. Um, if you're if you're coming to this for the first time, this is not a good place to start. I would I would say if you need to track, watch the series first, or go back to the beginning um, and watch the original series films, but don't start here. Um, there's some shots which I think is quite inventive, but other times can be quite pedestrian. Um, like there's a scene obviously during Picard's nightmare right at the very start. It's like shaky cam before shaky cam, um, which I was quite impressed by. <laughs> I was like, oh okay, bit of innovation. Um, but I would agree with mostly self presses basically um, a film very much two halves. Um, first half is an episode of the show, and then the second half is basically much like your 90s shoot 'em up movie. Um, with Picard getting his big guns out in more ways than one. Um, <laughs> and also, also, also as well. Can... Well, he, <laughs> I mean, his arms. <laughs> he even gets such a vest, doesn't he? A prop, a, a normal vest, right at the end of the film. I, I wonder who wears it more, like him or um, John McClane. Well, they um, both wear it completely. It's not <laughs> well, like oh, yeah. they, they haven't got it hanging over one arm. Uh, <laughs> who wears it? Who wore it more? <laughs> who wore it better? Who had the longer one? Who um, had more hair? <laughs> Um, well, I would imagine because Patrick Stewart is slimmer, his would look bigger. But that, that, <laughs> and, and this is kind of a lovely shade of lilac. Yes, very pretty, very pretty. Um, maybe slightly older too, but I, I don't know. Um, but also, yeah, all these different kind of themes Stay that are running with Earl Grey. Earl Grey, the favourite colour of it all. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's like the national colour of the Starfleet. Um, but yeah, obviously there's the other theme of you know the Borg kind of being obviously Picard being Ahab, um, the Borg being like obviously like maybe Dick things like that, and that doesn't even that just kind of gets gets mentioned, which again you know is another throwback to like Wrath of Khan, for example, um, and that's something else that doesn't get explored. It's just it's very messy. Um, but yeah, I mean because of like the action and the shoot 'em up nature of it is it's quite entertaining to watch. It's far from perfect, um, very clunky dialogue, um, but good performances though. Um, Especially, I thought with like the central three or four, but otherwise, yeah, it's sort of decidedly average. So it's a bit of scattershot review, but there it is. It's it's a very well regarded film. Before we go into it, it's a very well regarded film. I think we would all agree it's kind of entertaining. Mm. Um, it's funny it's, it's that good Chris, fun to watch. it's funny that Chris mentioned Tomorrow Never Dies because I thought a Golden Eye, and the reason I oh, thought what? a Golden, I reason I thought of Golden Eye when I thought of this film. Safety first. Safety first, but ah, true, yeah. But wildly overrated out of a mixture of nostalgia. And also, although it hadn't been as long as the Bond gap, this is the first time we've had chance to miss the Next Generation crew. And they come back in new uniforms with a shiny new ship and a bigger budget and everything else. And the Borg were, were quite iconic by this point. But it's also the same as GoldenEye in that it might be entertaining, but it falls apart as soon as you think about it. That's what I mean. It's all very light and throwaway. 
It's only yeah, like it when, was... I, when I were 50 tops. You know, it's not a long... I think it's 150, 51, something like that, yeah. 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 And it, it definitely could have been shorter as well because there's not a lot that like that happens in it that is worth, worth discussing. It's like, like I said, with the stuff that happens on Earth, that there isn't much to that, you know, other than the fact that always... No, he, we have to we have to enjoy data coming in his pants. <laughs> <laughs> I do I, I do like the scenes between in him and the, and the Borg Queen. I think I like generally. I, I think one of my favorite characters is Data. I think Brent Spiner is fantastic. Um, and he's kind of hilarious and also like unintentionally funny, just in terms of his facial one, expressions. I, I, do, I do love the scenes between him and the Queen. Oh, I know. There's one line reading though that I can't believe they let him get to get away with, but we'll come to it. Yeah, I think I think I, well, I know which one you're on about. So. <laughs> It's like, and, just do it again. And I, what I didn't get was uh, the character of uh, Lily. Uh, I just didn't understand what her actual she purpose is, was. Oh, she's so underused in this film. She's such an amazing actress. And she just has like this I mean, bit part. She, 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 she's, she's, she's good in a nothing role. Like, she, there, there is nothing yeah. to her character. There's nothing really. She doesn't add anything. There's no real arc to her, to, to her, the, to her re- reason for her character even being there. And and then we get like a a kind of semi romantic sort of send off between her, which is like, what? Really? Okay. Yeah, why, I mean why? that bit at the end where Picard is like, oh, you know, I'll miss you, sort of thing. And they did cut the a cheek, kiss. Like, they did cut a kiss, like a proper yeah. kiss. So they were going to go a bit further with the sort of romantic subplot. And they yeah. do it's like just, just weird. Well. Ended up on the cutting room floor. Yeah, but at least he was a bit of a milf. <laughs> <laughs> The Plinkett yeah. review refers to her as someone who wants to sit on Picard's face. Also, you you beam you beam on board Earth in, in, in the past and you think, right, we'll put on like, you know, human clothes. I know, should we send the android? You know, it's just like you know, <laughs> And she faints. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, um I, I just don't know. We've gotta be incognito here. Who should we send? Who should we send? Oh, the android with the weird skin. <laughs> with the silver face. <laughs> so so yeah. We're not gonna be able to put this off any longer. Shall we discuss this film sequentially, folks? Yeah, I'll do yes. I tell you what, Charlie, do you want to start talking about uh, the music at the start of the film? Because this yeah, was very. Yeah. If when it, when this film came out, one of the reviews I read, and there wouldn't have been as many because it was pre-mass internet. Um, but the 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 one review I read, which was complimentary about both the film and the score, said very nice, but not very Star Trek. Oh, I disagree. This is very, very Star Trek. And the the theme itself is kind of, it feels very kind of grand and exploratory. And um, it, it feels very much at home um, within, in Star Trek. I mean, certainly when you kind of think of like Voyager, and it was obviously Jay Goldsmith did that as well, um, very shortly before he did this. Um, and kind of... There's, I mean, there's there's kind of two, where two Star Trek themes. There's either the kind of like he did with the motion picture theme, where it's kind of big and brassy and fast, or there's the kind of more gentle, kind of more thoughtful kind of way, like with the Deep Space Nine theme and things like that. It's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd go along with that. But because this this needed this, he wanted this to be a theme for the film and for the, for the first contact. So I mean, thematically. That theme is for the act of um, of Earth making first contact and the ending, and that's one of the things that really holds the film together. I think is that the that theme is so strong 
So when it all kind of gets to the end and that's all reprised, then the uh, then that that's all it works really well. And that kind of final scene is is really kind of powerful because uh, the, because the music has kind of come back and is cementing this whole act. Um, and then after they get on with it, and it ends with the next generation theme. Well, the it's motion picture. I'm going to sound like a wanker now, but this has got a bit of a feeling of sort of wonder to it. This theme. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, it, it does. It does fit with a film that's all about new beginnings and discovery. Yeah, and again, and again, they they kind of make clumsy references. Um, I mean, that's that's the infamous um, James Cromwell line, which we'll get to later. And you'll um, hear it on our ranking episodes, folk, folks, because it, 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 it's in just the one intro. Folk. Just one folk, yeah. But by then, we'll only have one listener now. <laughs> um, um, and uh, yeah, and so there's a sense of because again, that's one thing that these films, um, and which Ruth of Khan did very well. Um, but um, these films try very hard to combine action along with the kind of wonder and grandeur and romance of space. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, that was the romantic kind of side of the thing was something that was very well explored by Goldsmith in the motion picture, but it's trying to combine the two, which uh, often doesn't work out for the films. Um, but um, but but certainly is is bookable here in terms of a just as something for Star Trek, and b as as something in terms of what's put down as the uh, the evolution of the human race. Um, with the uh, with 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 the ending, I mean it's it's notable as well that <clears throat> excuse me. This this was Goldsmith's first score for Star Trek since um, the Final Frontier, which is 1989. Um, so from that, um, he uh, not only brought back the, uh, the the main thing from the motion picture, which obviously at this point as well, and back back even even before 1989 was the uh, um, taken on as the theme from the Next Generation. Um, but also, there's another theme he brings back, which was actually from the last one, from Star Trek V, uh, which is known as the Busy Man theme. And um, it was just kind of used there on, on the scenes where they all went to see God. And it was just, it's just four notes. And just goes, do, 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 do. And what oh, he yeah. did with the Next Generation films is he turned that into a theme for Picard and Data, so when <clears throat> when the film begins, first contact, and the Paramount Lego comes up and goes do 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 do, and then he goes dun 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 dun. So you hear that immediately. I feel like Charlie's actually doing on my voice of an angel. Reputation. Chris, don't get too excited. We meant Dave Angel from the past. Okay. Dave Angel. Um, so before, so before the films, and again, this is the genius of Joe Goldsmith. Look, before the films actually started, he's kind of putting in that suggestion, those themes there, and something that, that just feels like just a simple counterpoint against the, uh, the the Star Trek melody, the fanfare. But is that in actuality something else that not only will kind of um, become a theme linking those two characters? in this film, but also in the next two as well. Um, <clears throat> he also, um, again, later on the line, brings back the Klingon theme. But, again, which, again, was, was in Star Trek V for Worf. 
He brings it back oh, as a heroic he, oh, scene. Oh yes, when he walks on the when he walks on the bridge. Yeah, and also when he, he does, does yeah. when he does his fight later on. So it's and and we were t- I was talking about this with Carol on our podcast when we did the Star Trek one when Star Trek Beyond came out, and thinking of where someone has written a iconic villain theme that is then switched around to become a, a heroic theme for a character. Oh. And again, it's genius. It's absolute genius. And it's one of my favorite things about this score is, is the, the way he did that. And then, of course, we go on to the, um, the opening sort of shot of the film. And I think this is a very good way to tell people that this film is going to be larger scale. Mm-hmm. And it's an effect that still holds up where we get to see the, the sheer scale of a ball cube. We pan back from Picard circa season three or four. Obviously, he's just dressed in that uniform. It's shot for this film. But it's when he was assimilated in the first place. He's in his pod, and it backs up right out of his eye, right the way back. And it's enormous. We don't even get to see the whole cube. And it's interesting as well, because I remember um, reading about that on CFAX. Um, oh, good old CFAX. It's such a big deal. That this, it was, this was before the film came out, and it was basically a news item on CFAX um, that, that said it must have been about the budget or something. So I don't know how much it cost. Maybe it cost like ridiculous money or something like that. And saying this Star Trek First Contact, um, which by the way was originally called Star Trek Resurrection, um, but they actually changed the title because of Alien Resurrection, which came out the following year, uh-huh. um, and. Uh, so it's all this thing about, oh, yeah, there's, there's the new Star Trek film, and it's going to open with this scene where there's a pull-out from, um, from from Picard's eye to show the extent of the Borg. It's kind of, you think about that, you think about that kind of thing where, especially with, with Star Trek, which is certainly a phenomenon but has not always been a massive mainstream phenomenon, but when something like that, you, you just read about that, and you think, wow. And then it's certainly, when you see it actually on the screen, you do. You think, wow, that's amazing. It is a really wonderful shot. It's also got a horrible shot of his eyeball. Yeah. Oh, that's horrendous. Oh, my God. It's really well done, though, isn't it? I mean, bear really in mind, done. these films, I mean, this has got a nicer budget, but it, it, it's still low budget. For a 90s sci-fi film, this is not a big budget film. And Frank does though. a great job. He does a great job making making this stretch and, and work for the film. I think if, if that kind of scene, if that makes you squirm, then it's done its job, hasn't it? You've done a good job on that, so. Yeah. And, and, and the implant yeah. coming out of his cheek, the sort of dream with the nightmare within a nightmare. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's like um, Inception, but before Inception. Well, it's kind of a trope. Well, kind of. It? It's kind of like that trope of like waking up from a spurred of dream and then realising that uh, something's horrible. You're in a dream. Oh, surprise, yeah. it's, a, you know, it's a dream. Uh, yeah. like a, and then realising um, everybody's got like werewolf... Oh, no, that's Blackout of the Third. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but it was in American Wealth in London, wasn't it? When he, wakes oh, yeah. up from, when he wakes up from the dream and then the nurse comes in and, and, and kind of, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just open the curtain, she opens the curtains, and that thing comes, jumps out and stabs her. And then he wakes up, yeah. <laughs> and it's all a dream. <laughs> yeah. Anyone listening, if you've never seen it, An American Werewolf in London is fantastic. Masterpiece. Absolute masterpiece. I wonder if we could probably do those films, maybe. 
I don't know what I don't yeah, know what John Landis. It would yeah, fit. John Landis retrospective. Well, most of John Landis's well, films werewolf are films. very good. I mean, yeah, <laughs> werewolf films in general. Mm-hmm. We're doing yeah, all the westerns, so we do all the werewolf it, movies. It, it, it would mean having to cover uh, coming to America. Eighties horror. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We, it's like four. He's in it. That, a trade, that trading place is coming to America. I don't know. Jenny Agus getting naked. Okay, walkabouts on Logan's Run. I'm guessing, obviously, I've never seen her naked or remember what film she was naked in, except no. Walkabout in America Work in London. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I went off on a tangent. <laughs> you can enjoy that, but I won't so much. I just think this is really lazy, though, because the next thing, he's woken by his um, by an incoming sort of call from Starfleet Command. And he's told that, well, he doesn't have to be told. Basically, he's just dreamt of the Borg because the Borg are attacking. He's in mind's eye. With, with their single ship. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. giant cube. So, like, Borg are, atta- are attacking basically Earth. They want to, like, take Earth. And, like, the entire Federation is, like, trying to defend it. And they've told Picard to back off, essentially. They've, yeah, we, we find out. I mean, again, I just don't like much of the dialogue in this film because we go straight to sort of an observation lounge scene and I just find it all very perfunctory and somehow, although not horrifically so, not how people would talk e- to each other, just more what the film needs. So there, you get them rehearsing the arguments. And and giving a bit of exposition as well. You've got Geordie, who's now got uh, bionic eyes, which I like. They're quite nice. Mm. Um, saying, I'm not sure why he has it, though, to be fair. It, it, just, it just looked a bit weird. I thought, like, okay, okay, well, there's an in-universe and an out-of-universe reason. <clears throat> the out-of-universe reason is uh, the actor got sick of wearing that fucking hairband across his eyes. <laughs> it's difficult to emote. The in-universe reason is they've been experimenting with these sort of things for years and technologies move forward a bit. So he can now have proper implants rather than that strange visor he had. If I had the choice, I'd choose a visor because it, it, it just looked cooler. To be honest, it just oh, looks I weird. Agree. I like, I like, yeah, but I like that weird. But yeah. The contact lenses look quite cool, I think, and it's a neat yeah, thing. I do, I like them. Yeah. Um, but he rehearses the argument that it's been out in space for a year, so that tells us that. Yeah. Uh, they built that enterprise quite quickly, clearly. Um, yeah. And then, you know, do we need more shakedown time, which is the wrong line to give to Crusher? It doesn't suit her. And then it's got, um, and they just, you know, we're the, you're the ideal person, and and it's just really weird. And then you've got a scene with Riker and Picard, and Picard saying, well, they don't have any faith in the captain. They've been sent to patrol the neutral zone, and it's like none of this makes sense at all but also if you thought he was mentally unstable becker he wouldn't even be on duty no it's exactly not, exactly it's, it's not just about whether he's fit to face the borg you're either fit to serve or you're not and whilst you're i don't in a ship and i know this is um for a wider audience than just trek fans but it's been six years and we have had countless board borg episodes involving Picard to suddenly paint them as you cannot go near them now doesn't make sense particularly as when he contravenes his order and turns up what he knows kills them immediately 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like he knows about like the, the, the that thing the Death Star has, you know, that one area where he just shoots at that he just blows the whole thing up. It it does feel like it, it does feel like it was written by, by people who had only seen the best of both worlds. Yeah. Just fired Scott... there. That's where all their gym kits kept and they'll have to train in their underpants. <laughs> <laughs> No, because and, and, I mean uh, that scene with the um, with Riker and Picard. It's it's it, I want to say it's a really nice scene, and the kind of the, the Berlioz really loudly, and Picard being a bit of a teenager listening to his classical music. Um, yes, really loud so much, and 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 it's a really nice shot com- composition with him with Riker just appearing in the in the darkness in the background on the, as a reflection. Um, but again, it's it's like. <laughs> When you look at the history of, of the character and the show, and you think, okay, so yeah, they did the best of both worlds. Picard was assimilated and then came back. And and then you had the stuff with um, Jonathan the Borg, where Hugh. they, yeah. Hugh. Um, Hugh. Sorry, that was it, Hugh. Hugh. I don't know why I called him Jonathan. Episode um, called, uh, I did, we didn't name it, sorry to interrupt, we, did, we didn't name it in our opening episode, but um, it's an episode called I Borg. And it really kind of mm. almost ends up changing what the Borg are. And of course it's retconned out of existence for this. Yeah. But they all they all had to face their um prejudices then. And it and it's kind of if I recall correctly, because I've not seen it for years, um, I think it's Geordie that actually kind of leads the way in understanding him. Yeah, and because they followed it up as well with dissent, which yeah. again had data defecting to the Borg. Yeah. Um, and um, and there was the whole thing about about what the crew and, and Picard um, had done um, in introducing Hugh back to the Borg, and uh, he made them unable to take care of themselves, really. Yeah. And uh, Admiral, what's the, the horrible Admiral Nechev? Yes. And whenever they need an episode where one of the uh, captains needs to be chewed out um then it's always nichea that's brought in mm. um but um so it's like and it's like the, the where he says that i can still hear them and he's having he's hearing the whispers and it's like where's that come from um and all these kind of things that that's kind of is kind of interesting ideas but again because there's no continuity it's just it, throw away yeah exactly um, and then they, they rip off the scene from the well it's almost they rip, rip off the dialogue from the end of Star Trek 6 the, if, if, I, if I were human my response would be oh, going yeah. to hell and in this it's to hell with our orders yeah, and what and I don't like is and they did this in the series all the time and it's one of the reasons I'm not fond of the humour in Next Generation you nearly always get a reaction shot of Troy smiling <laughs> whatever the joke on the bridge is <laughs> you get a reaction cheesy fucking grin from Troy, <laughs> and I hate it. It followed one from Riker, which I'd like, because he's got such an easy smile and sort of charm to him. Yeah. So I was, I was all right with Frakes' smile, but Marina Sirtis, it's like, oh, for fuck's sake. It's not even Aww. a funny line. But again, it's, it's the weird tonality between where this is this horrendous thing where the Borg are attacking and everyone's dying and all this. They're about the to end our race. Yeah, and let's all go on an adventure. And then there's the, the stupid, stupid bit with I mean, I love the fact that defiance in there. Um, and the, obviously it's it's just an excuse to get Wharf back on the ship. 
but him saying them using perhaps this is a good day to die as a, as a stupid joke, and then saying prepare for ramming speed. As you know, if had he said had he said today is a good day to die, <laughs> we know from the show that's a Klingon phrase. Saying. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the way he said it. Like it's just something that's just occurred to him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, perhaps today is a good day to die. Finally, understand that meaning, that proverb. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, like, that was probably that designed for oh. days like this. <laughs> and that's a really weird... It's a real... It, it's, and again, like, sorry, it's very odd where it comes. The, the, it's very the, weird timing. To prepare for ramming speed. It's, it, again, puts puts Worf back as this kind of... I kind of want Roger Moore to raise an eyebrow to that. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but but Worf, Worf is really from this brilliant tactical officer. And and it's really, again, it's reducing him to the Klingon archetype. Of it really prepare, is. I'm just going to ram it. If in doubt, mindless violence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. John Bede and Goldeneye, full speed ahead, ram him. <laughs> Ro- Roger Moore should have turned up in that as well, to be honest with you. He, he was on the set, but he'd been sat in the corner of the train having a fucking, you know, drink or something. But, um, <laughs> so this scene is both really good and really bad because, again, yeah. the scene, and I, I, well, I, this is the first one I saw in the cinema. And again, I'd not long, I'd always liked Star Trek, but this was just after I'd watched them all. Mm. So this was the first one I got a chance to anticipate, which gave it that Spectre syndrome of me slightly overrating it on first viewing because I was just excited. But that shot, I, I saw it more than once as well. That shot where the Enterprise sweeps in front of the Defiant is yeah. brilliant on the beach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And got Jonathan Frakes has a really good eye on him. I just think it looks really great, this stuff. And also, when they all go to attack the Borg, because you've got uh, Picard takes control and says, fire on these coordinates. I don't know how that works in space with a moving ship, but okay, fair enough. Um, So they all fire on this point that supposedly isn't anything urgent, and it basically blows the ship up almost immediately whilst the sort of spherical ship within a ship comes out from it. And I just think, well, the shot of them all firing at it's great because we've never been had the budget to see sort of Spark Starfleet mm. as an attacking fleet. I like that. And I like um, the look of the E and I like some of the shots in it. But frankly, the moment we feared for six years, just <laughs> fire there, bang. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's just lame. And then it's like, quick, get away, get away. There's a little skate pod from the ball just like, just like, comes out just in time. (laughs) And they fire on that a couple of times, and that's it. After the chronometric particles, when it goes into the past, and much like last week, let's go right when we want, let's go to like 24 hours before first contact. Go back to fucking Renaissance times. There's nothing that will challenge you. Wasn't that the original, one of the original ideas that they were going to go back to? Oh, you've the just Renaissance. reminded me. Actually, it was Patrick Stewart refused to wear tights. <laughs> he just said, "I've had." He said, "I've had enough time of that on stage." Um, but it's which just... is not given that uniform that he's already in anyway. Yeah. Just going to pause there to tell you. Not on the. Leave the recording. I'll edit it out. Wrong. Wrong glasses died. Oh no. Firefly friend CSI. Yeah. Wrong glasses died. Seventy-one. Who's um, I'm not sure I know. Is. is that I think the he, um... he, was, he was the pastor on uh, on the firefly? On, oh, um... the reverend guy. Oh. Yeah. The I sort of... too. Oh, him. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's him anyway. 
Um, yeah, it is. Not every said. Anyway, oh. sorry, I just go back to the recording. Um, so yeah, um, and then the chronometric particles, and you think, well, that's fine. I'm going to have a problem with it later in the film. But it's like, why are we still here? And here's that word again. Somehow, the the, the temporal wake must have shielded us from its effect. Well, that's handy, isn't it? And they fire through, and they seem to arrive just after a load of time's gone by, and it's had a chance to fire on Earth. They fire on it twice, it blows up, and later on we find out that somehow they beamed <laughs> over the ship undetected. We are told the shields are down, so it's not the beaming that's a problem, it's the undetected that's a problem. And it's just like, this film is just fucking... If, we, if they don't know how to get around a plot point, they either ignore it or have a character say somehow. <laughs> and it's lazy. I mean, to be fair, they might not necessarily know how they would anyway. So it's but it's, it would be like I don't know. I guess they have. Yeah, that, but that's in real life. This is real life is 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 full of things know, we can't control. This this plot and this script is entirely at the, the control of two writers. All they've got to do is is actually not write themselves into a corner they can't get out of. And the, f- the fact that it goes to the exact spot where the ship is and is able to disable it immediately. It kind of is. It, did they have access to Starfleet Library records? Is that kind of... Also right. If they, could, if they had the ability to <laughs> teleport on the Enterprise, why don't you just teleport on Earth and then they'll be fucked? They'll be, you know, they're, like, they're, they're essentially just like a one then. They're like, right, we're on Earth now. You know... If you can just assimilate people, and you know there's no weapons because we're told it's just after World War Three, very few governments, uh, go somewhere with relatively little, you know, be like the thing, just go mm. somewhere not very well fucking populated, assimilate them and just do it by stealth. What good is fucking controlling a tiny bit of the ship going to do? Well, they, I don't well, really also, care. Also, you can pass it to that area as well. If you yeah, just... If you beam on Earth, you've got like, well, we've got places to actually go to now. We can like go that way, we can go this way, we can go this way. You know, you won't be able to track them. You know, you've got time to organise yourself. Whereas uh, they beam over to the ship, they beam over with a load of supplies. Thankfully, um, it's it's really odd. But at, at this point, we we have we don't know this actually. We find this out in a little while. Uh, the first order of business is they've got to they they understand that it's a, couple, a day or two before first contact in 2063 and the they've struck at montana where which is where the phoenix flies from the phoenix being the first warp um one ship warp one being light speed and this is the problem last week at light speed it would take you eight and a half minutes to get to the sun not 15 seconds um but anyway um so they have to go down and and ascertain what's happened because so they have this flight has to happen for the Klingons to realise we're now a warp-enabled race and Vulcans. the future start to unfold. What did I say? Klingons. I always do that. <laughs> I'm going to go with it. They're fucking... I, was, oh, I did wonder. Right? I was going to look at them a minute. What you mean? They're Klingons because I said they are, all right? <laughs> live, live long with honour. <laughs> Again, it's, it's the, 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 action, the action film nature of this where it's kind of, okay, the Borg get through... Back in time, the first thing they do is just shoot at things. <laughs> yeah, they they know immediately, and they know immediately where Montana is and everything. Yeah, they've, yeah, they've got know, the exact. I know they've got access to like 
anything they assimilate. Um, if they've assimilated Earthlings, they'd know some of our history. But like, if you, for example, if you assimilated me, you'd know of the Gettysburg exp- address, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to find it on a fucking map. The thing is, why do they pick this point? Why not go back to when, um, you know, there's the bit in um, All Good Things where Q takes Picard back to where humanity is first born. Yeah, the first sort of... Just go shoot at that. Assimilate some amino acids. I know. I can't imagine them in one of those pods, though, but there you go. But for everything I've just said... It's not that bad at this point. We've had a couple of maybes and some hows. And that's a, but it's all right. We're going to see a new era that we haven't seen in Star Trek before. Um, I'm, I'm not massively down on this film at this point. No. But it, I think it, slowed down, it slows down quite dramatically when they head down to the site. Yeah, so they, uh, they, they send over to, to check uh, the damage. So they uh, so they obviously they, they get in that well get in our like civilian clear that matches the right time and we'll send the android you know because we got to look in- inconspicuous. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, they're they're basically like they run into like a like a, a instant like, shootout with uh, Lily. She fires immediately as well, which doesn't strike me as the character we later find, which is all you know. I just think that's a bit odd. So Lily actually. Like you know, just fires first. Without, I mean, that's not very like uh, peaceful, is it? <laughs> well, you got a machine gun on you. You can, you can hold them in place. You yeah. can, you know, get them to put their hands up. Anything. I found that a little bit odd. Yes, it's it's kind of they, they've got vague um, kind of ideas of what had happened after the uh, after the World War Three. And kind of there's very few governments, that's all we're told. Yeah, coalitions and things like that. Um, I mean, they're essentially in a field, in like a, a forest, really. Yeah. It looks like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, they've not just flattened cities, they've just disappeared immediately, <laughs> totally, and forest grown in their places. Uh, yeah, it's 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 okay, though. The only, the only thing is, obviously... I just feel like we're whipping through it in quite a perfunctory way. And on one hand, it means there's very little fat on it. But on the other hand, it's like we're already sort of sat with the Phoenix within seconds of it being introduced as a concept. And we're straight on to some woman shooting at them. And we're straight on to like data being bulletproof and all that for those who've never seen the series. And then we're straight on to radiation poisoning and it being damaged. Uh, We're whipping through this almost too quickly. It's like quick, quick, get like you know, get get the plot moving. Let's uh, beam the um, Lily on board, and you know, and Riker, you you stay down here, make you know, make sure that you know all, all this kind of stuff. And um, now the the original version of the plot had Picard sort of staying on the planet and Riker staying on the ship. Would, would that make pa- more sense? Um, well, in, in normally Riker would lead away teams. Mm. Um, but uh, it was Patrick Stewart who said, uh, why is he not on his ship? Why, why is he not leading his ship? Um, I think he's got a fair point, actually. But of course, because the plots went one way and then they changed it, yeah. you've got to have this clunky, oh, I best go back to the ship and you come down here. It's like, well, if we'd done that in the first place, we wouldn't have had this fucking problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it's little things like the ships are getting warmer 
uh, sorry, the ship is getting warmer, and you've also got Picard hearing those voices again. Good job that was trailed a few minutes ago in this film. This concept, <laughs> they've, just, this concept they've just thought of. Well, he gets like sort of like like sort of like radioed in, like saying like, oh, like there, 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 there's a problem. There He's heard nothing in between either. He only <laughs> hears when like the plot needs him to go back to his ship. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's quite handy. They obviously tune him in, saying like, "We fancy a bit of a, ba- a fight with you now." <laughs> <laughs> and, and the fact that he suddenly remembers the, uh, the the temperature of the Borg ship, and the exact environmental conditions. I was going to say, I've been tons of places. I was never sure what the temperature was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, like the tip of his finger goes. I do like the way that's shot, though, because he hears something, he notices something, and he walks towards camera. The camera checks backwards. Mm. But he speeds up as he starts to realise. I quite yeah. like the scene. Yes, there's some good tension to it. And again, and then beaming back and... Uh, and going into full-on fuck you mode. <laughs> like, getting like, guns and shit. And, and again, it, was, it wasn't enough that... <clears throat> that all happened there. He Picard has to say exactly what the Borg had done, in case anyone didn't get it. Yeah. Yeah, it really does treat the audience like idiots. And um, yeah, so it's basically, and and he's told as well. He basically announces to his crew that if you see any of them and they're being assimilated or they've been assimilated, kill them immediately. And I'm thinking, well, that would have fucked you up, wouldn't it? <laughs> and he's going, well, you'd be doing them a favour. And I'm thinking, you've been perfectly happy the six years that there wasn't a plot that required you to be damaged. <laughs> That's absolute bollocks. You ha- you are living proof that this is a reversible process. Yeah, I don't. I didn't quite get that. Really, I found it really jarring. I said, like, hold on a minute. He's been through the process himself, and he knows what goes on. So he's like, oh, we've done him a favour. It's a bit of a throwaway line. It's like, well, hmm, movie, really? That's because movie Picard is an imbecile. The <laughs> yeah. TV version of him is a thoughtful, seasoned diplomat, and the movie version of him is a meathead looking for a fucking rumble. <laughs> Action. <laughs> Action, man. I mean, I mean, it is lucky. I mean, don't, don't the, the Borg actually remove, like, sort of, like, limbs off in, in place machinery, or is that just, like, just put, like... They haven't thought that through, because oh, I, I, I read once in a review that... Um, after the best of both worlds, Picard should have had like a Luke Skywalker, yeah. i.e., like one glove or something where they've had to remove a limb and he's got some maybe robotic replacement. Yeah. They didn't go there. That wasn't the situation in the series. They put something over that. But again, they've made it a bit more body horror. There's a lot of Giga in this. Yeah. There really is, definitely. Um,. So they haven't really thought that through, but okay, I'll, I'll go with that. They remove limbs, and it's it's kind of a, a a horrible process. Yeah. And if you are going to assimilate a thousand people on the ship, obviously you're not going to be able to rehearse. Uh, sorry, reverse all of those. So I will even accept the sort of shoot to kill policy. Yeah, there's also the sort of like you know sparing sparing of the pain, like you know it's like mm. it's, it's, yeah. But at the same time, they're all having a bit of a laugh on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> two completely, Troy's getting pissed. Like, two completely different tones of films. Charlie, you've had, you mentioned this in the intro episode. You mentioned it last week. Tell us about Drunk Diana. <laughs> this is the worst scene in anything Star Trek that has ever been made. Just so basically, 
So you, so you didn't like it then? Well, yeah, less than uh, Attack Like That from Nicolas, it's Kydris. Um, um, it's not good though, is it? De- Deanna Troy has been boogieing with Zephram Cockrum, who's trying to chat her up. And he's been... like Necros from, from the Living Daylights has one song. <laughs> <laughs> but he fucking well, loves, it. It. <laughs> yeah, loves it. I mean, um, it, it could be like the only jukebox they have. It plays that one song. It's like because it's obviously it's like it must be like damaged in some way. And... So they just and, play and, it and to again. like it, and then like yeah. yeah. And, and again, we have an episode of Dear John, the the 80s sitcom, <laughs> where Ralph Ralph does a fucking disco, and he's got, only got Green Door by like Stevens, <laughs> and and he's playing it over and over again, and just saying things into the microphone like Boogaloo, do that funky thing. It's, um, it's, there's another thing, and this always bugs the hell out of me with Star Trek, is that. When- when they have these kind of fish out of water situations, they always have to introduce this kind of conceit, like, oh, Deanna Troy's never heard of tequila. Yeah, all these all these things that apparently don't exist. Now there is um, enough in the human memory banks, i.e. the people they've assimilated over the years, that you know exactly about first contact, you know exactly where Montana is, literally the exact coordinates. <laughs> Uh, but you don't remember anything of the drinks and music of the era. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Shatner drinking a beer. It's like, mm, what's this? Okay, because there's so always so much Romulan ale, but occasionally they bring on yeah. like brandy and whiskey and things like that. Oh, yeah, I mean, because yeah. Scotty gets drunk in the in the Next Generation episode, doesn't he? On yeah, he does. He does. But, uh, Maybe they do branding. They do. They do. I don't know. But Considering the ship had a bloody bar. It might be maybe because obviously she's kind of quite psychic. I don't know. I didn't feel that. Don't explain it away. They didn't have. I mean, it, it, it's in the Scotty episode. It's an episode called Relics from season six, I think, listeners. Um, Scotty it, drinks alcohol. And when he goes to like 10 forward, he finds out it isn't quite right because they have synthahol. So basically, between the original crew and the Next Generation crew, alcohol's gone completely out of vogue and they've got like a pretend version of it. So I'm quite happy to accept that like this era doesn't drink. I'm not overly fond of it, but if they've got some kind of placebo replacement, that's fine. But the idea that they've literally lost that there was any concept of that sort of thing. I mean, it's like, think about now, um, Mead. You know, you read medieval stuff and you read about Mead. We're aware of what it is, even though we don't drink it. And even if we don't know what it is exactly, we're aware of it as a concept. Whereas Tequila, she's literally never heard of. Yeah, she doesn't know what it is. And then... In a couple of in a couple of years, serves Romulan ale at her wedding. Exactly. Well, so yes. Yeah. Well, Wolf's got a hangover. Or uh, yeah. <laughs> and again, they make this stupid joke about it being illegal. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a little. Uh, it's very in, incongruous. Vision, kind of. vision of the future of our nemesis episode. Um, but yeah, and it's the way she acts and and the whole. Her and Riker doing this kind of straight man slapstick kind of thing, 
and her acting is diabolical. It's over mm-hmm. the. It's wildly over the top. You wouldn't yeah. ever believe the actress has ever tasted alcohol in her life. <laughs> I do uh, like her, I do like that one line that she has though. It's like there's no time to argue no about time. time. We don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's funny. It makes me laugh. It's not. It's not a bad line. It's not fantastically well delivered though, is it? No, no, it's not. That's what makes me laugh so much because it's so. Jacked. I just think Jonathan <laughs> Frakes is really good in this. Jonathan Frakes almost could have been a bigger star than he he was because he's very good at that sort of easy light comedy. Yeah, and uh, the kind of. That's the the one perhaps saving grace of the scene is is going kind to of look on his face when he's she good, collapses. When she collapses, his face he's very good. Yeah, but yeah. But again, we're supposed to believe this genius oh. is not only completely drunk, does this really weird arm movement when he has a drink, and then smashes <laughs> the glass. And I just think like you you've, you're, <laughs> you're 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 stepping over the line between lovable rogue and fucking thug. <laughs> yeah, because. Well, okay, he's a thug. He's just like a, you know, he's just like a pisshead, isn't he? Really, he's just like, yay, gonna have a good I time. I mean, I, I, I understand what they wanted to do was kind of the idea of meeting your hero and then finding out that they're not yeah. necessarily who you kind of imagine them to be. Um, it's worth mentioning now as well that, that Zephyrin Cocken um, did appear in an episode of the original series as well. Yeah, on like Centur, um, Ce- what's it, Alpha Centauri, and he was about yeah. that. Yeah, but anyway, uh, the retcon of that is this: this uh, from Cochrane is meant to be younger than he looks. He's aged by radiation or summit. That's <laughs> the retcon, but we'll, we'll just go with it. Uh, Star Trek tries to be semi-consistent, and they've built kind of a an interesting world there. But there are some wild, like um, they almost forget their own law sometimes. Yeah, and then, it's like again, World War Three. It's like the last World War was meant to be the eugenics wars in the nineties. Now World War Three is in twenty uh, the twenty fifties stroke sixties. Lots of um, inconsistencies. Very much so. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. To, I'm happy to sort of allow that. It's okay. And then, but then, tonally again, it goes from being this ridiculous slapstick to horror, kind of. Yeah. With these uh, people, the engineer engineering people being picked off. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of a mess. We've got, they're, they're trying to find out, they've got to the point, I mean, they've beamed Lily back to the ship because she's got radiation poisoning. Mm. Which, in, in other okay, words, an excuse to, like, get her on get the intro. Well, yeah, but, I mean, for all the plot points I'd argue with that they're convenient, it's like, well, okay, you've got to have some way to do it. The other thing, of course, is there are two-man bands, Zephram and Lily, yeah, it seems to require the three of them to do the work at the end of the film. So I don't know how that was going to work originally. Lily goes up to the ship and it's, I'll keep her sedated. She mustn't see anything. No, you mustn't know a bit like Back to the Future. That's also a bit meeting your heroes, meeting your parents and stuff. Mm. But there's a little bit of like, don't show her anything. She can't know her own future. It will pollute the timeline, etc. And they're on the planet going, should we just tell him the truth? <laughs> and it's and like, it, and, it, and it smacks again of laziness because the writers have gone. We don't know how to resolve well, this. Well, well, thing Peter with Lily was a prick. We've had to have a scene where he can't, he won't play ball, and having had him not play ball, we don't know how to put that right. And Picard ends up telling Lily everything anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 kind of the, the little advert for Voyager that they get in with the um, the emergency medical hologram. Yeah, um, for those of you who've never watched 
Star Trek, and certainly if you've never watched Star Trek Voyager, um, Robert Picardo in that series plays... He's the data stroke Spock stroke Odo of that series, the one, the the other through which we learn about humanity. And he's he's basically a short-term use, a med, emergency hard light medical hologram that if your doctor's damaged you can or hurt or killed or whatever, you can use this program for the short term. But because of Voyager, they're stranded in the other side of the sort of galaxy, they've got to use him in perpetuity. So he becomes like a real member of the crew. But all ships are fitted with them. And we see him here. Um, I don't know what I think of this scene. I've always liked Robert Picardo. And I think he's really good as the Doctor. Mm. I'd, I'd say it, it just looks a bit dumb. Because by this point we know it's the Borg. And yet we've still kind of done the whole like. All the what the fuck like, is that? Yeah, yeah. The whole like <laughs> sort of like. Ooh, well, what we'll do what this thing where we know it's the Borg. So I don't know why. Again, again it's, 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 the, it's the need for there to be a joke. Yeah, just sort of like a funny moment, really. So all, all this tension that they're kind of trying to build up, make it like Die Hard and Aliens and what have you, and all the kind of shadowy corridors and the, all the lighting breaks down and all this kind of thing, and they're walking around with all their fancy new phasers. Given phaser you've got a ship that's like 600 yards long, yeah. I, I, I kind of <laughs> think that... Uh, no, I think the sort of Die Hard on a ship is not a bad concept for a Star Trek film. No. It's just not very well done. No. And um, so, yes, and then you've got all this attention kind of just being undercut by all these jokes that just aren't really funny. I mean, I suppose because of the nature of the joke, of the, the, the kind of the, the doctor, a holographic doctor, it does kind of work in that respect. And again, Robert Ricardo is, is pretty much great in everything um, that he ever does. And I'll always remember him as the, uh, um, the, the, the stuck-up manager from uh, Gremlins 2. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Kevin gym teacher. Yeah, because he's in every Joe Dante film ever. But yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Because he was also the, the main werewolf in the Howling as well. Um, and uh, so wasn't and, that film in forever? Oh my god. He gets with the uh, the, uh, the, the the female gremlin at the end. <laughs> <laughs> they're, all, they're all singing the uh, the, the Not too graphically, I hope. No. No. Well, well, I, do, I, I do like his line, you know, I'm a doctor, not a doorstop, which is like, damn it, Jim. I'm a doctor, not a Well, that, that's, what, that's what the emergency medical hologram is. And they actually do drop some dialogue in an early Voyager that he, he is a composite of different <coughs> doctors and different knowledge and different styles. So there would be a bit of bones in there. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it is like a, a, a nod. Bear in mind, the Enterprise is always the um, flagship. And yeah. They tend to have the best crew. Um, and also, the five-year mission was a seminal thing. So, Bones, in-universe, would be a bit of a legend yeah. in their medical community. Oh, definitely. So, it kind of makes sense. And it's an all-right scene. But i tell you what I thought of when I watched this. There's an episode. I don't know if it's season six or seven. There's an episode called Genesis mm. where, they, where they all sort of devolve. They yeah. all de-evolve, de sorry. De-evolve. So you've got, um, bizarrely, some of them seem to become spiders and things like that, which doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, Barkley, didn't he? Barkley became a spider. Becomes, yeah. And, and Troy, became, Troy became Troy a became fish. kind of a fish. But again, she's betazoid, so you don't know what they might have evolved. Yeah. So that's possible. And of course, humans were once, you know, an aquatic life. So it's possible, I suppose. Um, but uh, Worf, um, 
de evolves back to a more primitive, more violent, more primal version of Klingons. And you do get scenes like that where you hear something and then suddenly the door starts getting smashed in. Yeah. But again, in that case, we know Worf has changed, but we don't know what he's changed into. Whereas here, Chris is absolutely right. We know exactly what's beyond that door. So what's, why are they shooting it like this? Yeah, it's really and ridiculous. Also, talking of Voyager, this is this is Voyager's um, sick bag, slight, very slightly redressed. And then they um, they lose Lily. Yeah. Now, why am I in this film? Woodard. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I will say one of my favourite scenes in the film is when she meets Picard, and that's kind of it's one of the few bits in the film where actual real Picard kind of comes out for me. What, thoughtful and trying to talk her down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, whereas and movie Picard would have... Uh, I, I'm not shot something. I'm not suggesting... Wait, 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 did start by elbowing in the stomach. But almost that bracing slap. <laughs> yeah. Elbowing his way in. Yeah. I do like that. The one thing that doesn't make sense is where she wants to get off the ship and he takes her through... Th those sort of little tunnels they go down are, are called Jeffrey's tubes. Mm. They're kind of a reference to... Matt Jeffries, who I think might have even designed the original Enterprise. Yeah, he did, yeah, yeah. Um, but they go down a Jeffries tube into a room with no doors and, like, a console that opens, like, basically an escape hatch. And I'm thinking, who works at that and how do they get to work in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> what a lonely job that is. I mean, I always felt sorry for Chief O'Brien just fucking stood in a... Stood in a you know, Bay just looking straight ahead all the time. Pressing buttons. The other thing is, at the very start of the film, where he says on screen, the screen's holographic, so it's mm. not there until they call it up, which means, given which way all the furniture faces, they're staring at a fucking wall <laughs> the whole time, wherever they go. Just for the sake of a, a cool effect, they've introduced something that makes no sense at all. Would you fly along just looking at a wall? And, it, and if you did, I mean, if it was sort of a command center, more like Deep Space Nine style, where you're all facing different directions or facing into a central point and you were relying on your sensors, that's fine. But they're all facing ahead like they're looking out the window and there's, they're literally looking at nothing. And then, and then you get it later on in the reboots where it is a window. Which actually kind of makes a bit more sense to me in a strange kind of way. This film hasn't jumped the shark yet, but it's well on its fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think what happens. Um, well, well there's, there's a lot of shooting. I mean, like a lot uh, of shooting. He kills people who are being transformed. They end up in the holodeck at one point. I mean, like, now, they, there's a shot. Sorry, Chris, go on. No, I was just, just going to say they, they they shoot, they shoot, they uh, they adapt, they adjust their guns, they shoot, they shoot, they adapt. <laughs> You know, it's the same sort of thing over and over again. It's like sex sequence, like after sex sequence, you know. No, I mean, there's one, the one, there aren't many iconic scenes in this film, but the one scene in this film that um, I got mentioned in most reviews is where you see the Borg sort of eye lights coming out of the dark. Yeah. And that's great to you imagine what must they have been doing with their heads at this point? Because <laughs> the red lights are going all over the place. Are they having fucking fits? Um, they're all having seizures at this point. Um, and I don't know where exactly where it comes in the film, but you've got the whole interplexing beacon thing. Yeah. Which 
reminds me of Superman 4, where they decide to have a fucking fight on the moon in slow motion. <laughs> it's just like, of all the places to have a fucking fight, in zero gravity in slow motion isn't great. <laughs> yeah, because that's because they, they go they the holodeck first, don't they? They do. Like I like that scene actually. Yeah, um, and that's got um... TV series. Uh, I think the first one's called The Big Goodbye. Mm. Um, when quite often, and I'm friends with somebody on Facebook who was a professor of mine at university, and he actually used this phrase another another uh, a day a few days ago, and it reminds me uh, of the fact that like most true intellectuals. Uh, spend a lot of their time with very academic works and books and study. And so they actually kind of like the occasional opportunity to read trash. Mm. So this professor, a very expert on a, a very much an expert on a certain era of history was talking about looking forward to reading an unimproving novel, which is like a term we'd never use, but it's because he's writing and reading academic stuff all the time. Picard, a very learned man, likes the work the works of a character called Dixon Hill, and he's a nineteen thirties or forties detective. Mm. It's kind of a bit Mickey Spillane, um, and it would be the thoroughly unimproving novel, if you like. And so they re- they recreate it on the holodeck during the show where he gets to play Dixon Hill, like basically a, a private eye. Um, and they have a scene here. What did you guys make of it, Becca? Yeah, it's pretty much the same as, as you guys, really. <laughs> I'm not straying too far here at all. Um, Chris, what did you reckon? Uh, the holodeck stuff. Yeah, it's a bit kind of um, very cheesy, I think. I I, um, I didn't really see much, any need in it, really. I don't think it added anything to the, to the story at all. It was just like, no, oh, no, little... let's, let's have a little premise you know let's have a little sort of set set piece and and Picard show that he's angry he's like he needs to be trying, like his little fake machine gun to death you know going Aah! you know it's a little bit <laughs> yeah it's like um um oh god what's that film well, well obviously Die Hard but I can't think what the other one's called <laughs> um, Die, Die, Die Hard with a Vengeance I don't know. surfing one. Yeah. Oh, point break. Point break. That's the one, point break. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one, yeah. Oh, well, when he fires up at the sky. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Shaun of the... No, or Shaun of the... Or Fuzz. Fuzz. <laughs> uh, this like doesn't ring true. He's no. lost his shit completely. Yeah. And when he comes to sort of go in and swing his gun down on the guy's chest as he's lying there dead, that's, that's a step too far, and it doesn't look right because... Patrick Stewart's aging really well even now, and he certainly was then. And he's lean and he's in shape. And I don't want to say anything against him. He's a bit of a hero of mine. I love Patrick Stewart. But it just doesn't look right. It just doesn't look right. It's not what he's cut out for doing. I think what they're trying to sell is Picard's losing it. He's like become like he's lost he's losing the ship. It's it's like I think it's probably his, his worst uh, I think you're right. Nightmare Chris, is coming, in, and that's, that's it, what they're in, going for. In universe, it doesn't make sense yeah. because it, that's it's uncharacteristic of him. But no. out of universe, I don't think Patrick Stewart's very well sort of designed for this. No, no, no. And you know they're using his shit, and it's and it's his worst fears. It's like, well, you just blew them up quite easily. And if they're adapting, you've all, you you get told later on just abandon the fucking ship. It, this is not an insurmountable problem. And that's part of the problem with this film, that I look at Q Who and I look at the best of both worlds. 
And if you if you are able to suspend disbelief, which most of us who enjoy films and TV are, so i.e. we watch things where we know our hero is going to win deep down, but we still get nervous and excited and everything else. Mm. If you know, if you are able to suspend your disbelief, when you watch Q Who or you watch um, The Best of Both Worlds, there are points where you cannot possibly believe they will triumph. In this film, there is never a moment where I think there are any any real danger. And in fact, when they say abandon the ship, I'm thinking, really? Fucking beam them into space. It can't be that difficult. None, <laughs> nothing on this feels that hard. And again, it's it's kind of movie Picard. Um, the, the kind of need to just kind of boil him down into these very kind of simple emotions basically with, picard no, a bit stupider and with a far quicker temper yeah with no complexity whatsoever yeah and and then they try and dress it up with the whole moby dick thing i mean picard, picard always had yeah. more juvenile elements to him and less than perfect elements to him mm. he snapped at people i mean the, the thing the, the shut example, up was like the, well, the, the example, yeah, that's but that's, that's understandable. Wesley was a wanker. But, uh, well, if, wouldn't, wouldn't, generate, wouldn't generation be like so much better if like it was constantly Picard just just telling Wesley to shut the fuck up or like there or are just like for God's sake, Wesley, just get the. Fuck. But the, the example Wesley, I Wesley, Wesley. Oh. One of the episodes <laughs> I pointed out in the uh, intro episode was the episode Measure of a Man, and uh, apart from being a wonderful episode. It also shows um, that Picard isn't perfect and he will take little silly advantages and not cheat, but the example is he gets data on the stand and data is, uh, you know, does the sort of handprint thing to identify who he is. And the computer starts reading his record. It starts saying medal of this and all the rest of it. And as they go to stop it, Picard goes, no, I want his record read in full. And they read his entire record about what a brave being Data has been and all the things he's achieved. Uh, when it's time for the other side to take the stand, and it's um, uh, whatever he's called, Maddox, take the stand. Mm. Uh, they go. They he start. They start reading his record, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah." Suffice to say, he's an expert. <laughs> and I, I've always loved that scene because it really paints the fact that, like, he isn't perfect, and he's trying to skew it in his favour. And when it when it was in his interests, it's let it run. As soon as it's against his interests, yeah, 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 yeah. Cut that shit. Um. And it hits to what Charlie's saying. There's complexity and nuance, and that's all missing here. And again, the um, it's it's him going from going mental straight to okay, let's pull this thing out of this guy's chest, um, so we can find out exactly what the Borg are up to. Yeah, I know, and and it, that's when we find out about the interplexing beacon. I have forgotten that. So but he's totally you... like, this was Edson Lynch. Yeah. And I'm thinking, uh, this speaks to what Chris is saying. I don't believe for a second he'd know who that was. No, no. Uh, no. <laughs> um, because on, on the TV show, I mean, he was a very good captain, but all, all the sort of crew bits were done by Riker. Riker did all the sort of ship evaluations. Basically, Riker did all the appraisals. He was chief of staff. If you think about it in like a West Wing analogy, 
like he's the president and like um, Riker's the chief of staff. And um, yeah, but they find out about this inter inter is it interplexing beacon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is bollocks. I hate this bit. That's a very perplexing beacon. Yeah, very perplexing beacon. Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, very it's, perplexing it's, plot hole. I think. I mean, it, it wasn't until the last um, episode in Explanation that Picard actually came in and played poker and was actually social with these people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, at the very start, he was kind of he's sort of very gruff and very kind of businesslike. He was like, "Oh, I don't want children on the deck." And then he's like, oh, I must appear to be genial. And then he's just, he's kind of smoothly softened, I suppose, across the years. I don't that's, know. That's, that's the series finding its feet. Yeah, exactly. If you go back and watch the first series of, it, of anything, from The Simpsons to Friends to, to anything. Yeah, Homer's like very, they, they, they you know, and he's not the idiot that we know today. It, the the it takes them a while to find their voices. It does, it does. And consistently what the character is. You watch the first series of Friends, you know, they're all a bit different. Yeah. Um, Picard was going to be a, a gruff family stroke child hater. Yeah, but now he's not. Um, even yeah, even that's quite a big divide between as as you say the the Picard of the TV show and the Picard of the movie. I just there's quite a big gap between the two that I find quite difficult to to marry up. Not that you would marry, you know what I mean. I, I, I mean <laughs> no, I know what you mean. I, I'm not convinced they do marry up. No. Um, no. We see a little bit of it next week. I mean, we see some of the worst of it next week as well with action sequences. But there are like Picard conversations next week mm. where I think, yeah, that is actually the TV show version. Whereas this week, I, the TV version of, of Picard would have, he did disregard orders now and again, but you would have seen a proper conversation. We would have, in the TV show, we would have seen that conversation with his admiral. We would have seen him. Would have, there would have been a scene. There would have been seen with him sitting down with someone and talking it through. It wouldn't like, be. Fu- it wouldn't be fuck our orders. Yeah. Not quite in that way, and that's not to say it, he did breach the prime directive and stuff. He did break orders occasionally, but there would have to be a very pressing reason, and we would explore it a bit. But I mean, this is all a setup for another action sequence, basically, isn't it? Uh, it's intercut. We ought to talk about. I'm, I'm thinking like the film. We got to sort of think how we cross cut the two plots here. I guess it's worth going back to Earth and all the stuff with um, Zephram Cockrum getting like really pissed off about what a hero he's painted as. He tries to run away, and then Riker just shoots him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after, after the uh, after that, we find out that Geordie doesn't know um, what Leaky means taking a piss. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's like it's one of those kind of jokes that you don't ever see, like a toilet or a bathroom or anything like that in a Star Trek movie. It's a kind uh, well, of running, yeah, running joke, I guess. There, there's been like uh, schematics of the ships published where there weren't toilets and stuff. They well, yeah. put them in. <laughs> the original ship, I don't think, had one. No, nobody wees in, in that century, you know. Yeah, I, I don't like a lot of this. I just think it's no. ladled on a bit thick. And the crew are starting to annoy me. I mean,. Where they have the sequence, I think it's quite stilted in the way it's shot. Uh, they show him the Enterprise in orbit through his micro his telescope. Yeah, telescope. Um, and first <sighs> off, you have you have to get Geordi saying she's beautiful. It's like we know you all wank off over the ship. <laughs> Stop it. There's no need for that line. And, and he and looks it- at, and he looks at it and basically. 
they start go- Charlie, before I sort of go into the bit where they explain it to him, did you want to add something there? Yeah, I just want to say that this is a this is another scene, and again, it happens throughout the, the the film. Certainly, this film, where more than ever, Star Trek feels like a musical, and where they're kind of giving all these uh, all these all these lines to to, to the to the crew. Um, where they just, feel you feel like they're taking it in turns. I think that's exactly what I was yeah. about to say. That um, Riker says a little bit about you know they start passing through the sector. Basically, you'll hit warp. But at that time, Vulcans will start passing through the sec- sector and things start to change. Your turn. And Geordie starts saying, and he starts walking forward as he says it. So it's really mannered in it, in the way they their whole body language works. And then it cuts to Troy. And I don't know what, I've never really had a problem with Marina Sirtis, apart from the cheesy grins at humour at the end of episodes. Um, but something about her in this film winds me up. Because she starts walking and saying... It unites humanity, and I'm thinking it's terrible. And why are they filming or walking forward like that? The logical, the logical end to this is she's just going to charge straight into him. Well, Stand what, fucking what, still and chat. What always cracks me up, and and again, is is the line before that, after he, um, when when they're sharing it, and she goes, "That's our ship, the Enterprise." Yeah, and yeah, it's... remind us of its name. Because <laughs> of course, that's not at all in the pop culture. <laughs> And again, it feels like, like she, she should be singing it. Once <laughs> <laughs> more, you know. Almost, almost like, a, like, yeah, like Mary Poppins, like, in her weird kind of... We don't see her tuppence, though. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, she, she could still be drunk, that, like, that could be why. It's just not very good, and they're starting to irritate me, and it's a bit yeah. like, yeah, they're not cinematic. I love them on TV. And I love Patrick Stewart, and I think actually Jonathan Frakes is pretty good in this, but it it's just not it's not commanding the screen, and and it's a bad sign in a in a split plot film that when I'm with one, I always want to be with the other. Yeah. So when, when I'm on the ship, I'm thinking, what's going on down on Earth? And when we're down on Earth, I'm thinking, oh for fuck's sake, get back to the ship. And. It, like I say, I'm making it sound far worse than it is. It's not a terrible film, but none of this is that great. Yeah. I don't understand why this film it, is so it, lionized. I mean, it's, it's it's just really, really mixed. You got all like the you know the all, all the dark sort of shooty action and the, and the ball attacks and all that on the ship. Mm. Then down down downstairs, you got all like the kind of semi jovial kind of like light hearted humor of what's going on down Earth. It's just a little bit. Uh, uh, uh. But that, what, that's what the thing. Dark. Dark, you mentioned that word, and that is a, t- a term that um, a lot of people use as shorthand for some kind of yeah. adult maturity type of thing. Whereas I, I here, say, it's just I say light... that, yeah, I say that as but, like. But, a... but, 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 but people say it. But a lot of people say, "Oh, Star Trek: First Contact." It's really dark, and it's not family. The episode of family where Picard actually has to deal with what has gone on, and again, it's, it's essentially about being a rape victim. And having to deal with what he went through during the best of both worlds, and is a really kind of really dark episode in places. Um, it's actually a mix between rape because he was violated, but also someone who's been blackmailed mm. because he he actually breaks down and says they used me to hurt people. Yeah, it was clearly very traumatic. Uh, but none none of those none of those nuances are shown here at all. No, he's just he's just rage. Yeah, he's just angry. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and it takes, this is a good and, impression of him. 
it takes an Earth girl from the past to tell him to calm down. And he's like, yeah, all right then. I know what it is. <laughs> That's pretty much like. <laughs> all you gotta do is mention Moby Dick. That's fucking. That's your route into any Starfleet captain. It, this is, it's really it's wasted. True. Something like that. It's just reminds totally me of the Winter Soldier. Film. You know, you use a section of words to program him. All you gotta do is be program a Starfleet captain is read a bit of Moby Dick, and they, <laughs> and they just chill the fuck out immediately. It's it's the, the fact the fact that um, I mean I I still really like the scene. I think that that whole scene is is really good, and it's the one part of the film where it really makes me think. Well, there's the potential that this film could have had dramatically, in terms of kind of kind of conflicts and things, and certainly Patrick Stewart's performance. But the other thing you've got there, Charlie, is you've got it's it's almost like a flip flop because you've got this very futuristic from Lily's perspective. Mm. Um, much more mature society. Money doesn't mean anything anymore. Self-improvement is paramount. I appreciate all the problems with that sentiment and and the way Roddenberry employed it through sort of Star Trek's run. But on the one hand, you've got this, this crew that has so much to teach a comparative savage in terms of Lily and Zephram's era, Mm. post-war and all the rest of it. But you've also got unadulterated rage on one hand that Lily can't possibly understand and can see is actually strangely immature. So those those two things as themes running up against each other could be really interesting. But it's one scene, and it's one scene which which ends with him almost metaphorically smashing the furniture and her saying, uh, stop, and him going, yeah, you're right. And that's it, and he's chilled out for the rest of the time. Um, we one thing we haven't mentioned is is data. We mentioned him being sort of captured earlier. Mm. I don't really quite understand what's going on there. To be honest with you, it, it's we've said very little about the Borg Queen. She spends most of the time seemingly trying to entice data with stuff that doesn't look like skin at all. I guess they're just playing with the idea that okay, well we we assimilate humans. She will they're assimilating uh, an android by putting human skin on him and, and doing it that way. And so it's kind of like, well, let's give you that extra thing that you'll never have. You'll never, you, you, we've given you the touch of our actual, you know, what it feels like to be human, you know, like physically rather than just like emotionally. Um, I mean, there, there is, I think there is something in there. It's just going like the extra mile. I don't think it's that great, but um I mean, it's barely in the film anyway, but it's just like... Oh, and that thing behind his head, did they buy that from the gadget store? Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you could buy those. Any kind of, like, you know, gift shop, can't you? Very kind of typically 90s-looking effect. If you go to any, like, sci-fi con, you probably it's might like see when those. They go, it's like when they go out to deal with the interplexing beacon, they have, like, a few lights on their suit for no apparent reason. <laughs> they look quite nice uh, colours, though. <laughs> uh, and when they actually do that, by the way, when they stop the interplexing beacon... Um, the last person you give and a quick... gets killed. Hawk dies. Oh dear, poor Hawk. They've given it's, it's the Dave from Desperate High Five. But they've ways. given the kiss offline to a guy with a very whose character has a very formal language structure. So kiss offlines don't work. No. Assimilate this. <laughs> Assimilate this. It's a shit line, but it's just really stilted. Better than um, die another day. Read this, bitch. 
which is the line you claim to like when we reviewed the film. It's funny. Again, it's bad. It's good. It's in that league. You know, that same kind of really awful but hilarious. Yeah, line. Again, the, the scene. I mean, the, there's a shot where they come where they come out, and then it, the, the camera twists um, twists around to kind of put it on um, a more kind of vertical orientation. Like kind of or, like a Dutch shot, isn't it? It's like a, yeah, an, yeah, yeah. Not um, not quite a Dutch shot, but kind of like at that kind of yeah. Maybe. So they so they come out upside down, as it yeah. were, and then it turns the whole ship and the whole shot upside down, so we can see from that point of view um, what they're doing. And and considering so they, it can, is they the, can travel like um, yeah. warp, they could travel a little bit faster than the Enterprise, basically. It's like they're going to let people know in the Delta Quadrant, and I'm thinking, well, it's not an immediate fucking concern. <laughs> but it, I just don't think it's a particularly great scene. So had, had the um, had the Borg been on Voyager at this point? Uh, no, because we, we would have only been in the second season of Voyager, so no. Because she, she said in this, in this time the... Uh, the They're in the in... Delta Quadrant. Yeah, but yeah. we already we already knew that from Quick Q Who because that's where Q sent them. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Although it was only eighteen years away, as opposed to like seventy-five or whatever, mm-hmm. which makes no sense when you get to Voyager and within a year they're passing Borg space. It's like no, you're about fucking fifty-five years from Borg space. Mm. But there you go. The Delta Quadrant's as big as it needs to be for the plot. <laughs> um. But yeah, we're, as I say, we're back on the ship. You've got uh, Zephram Cochran now going along with things. You've got um, Picard now saying um, abandoned ship. But not me, because I need to do my John McLean bit. You <laughs> um, see the guns out. Does, does, does he know Moby Dick off by heart? Well, he knows certain quotes from it. Um, I would have thought Picard's the kind of guy who could, like, you know, recite it word for word, I think. Uh, I genuinely don't know how highbrow Moby Dick's meant to be. I think very. Because it, it's I've, I've tried to read it several times and it's very, right. very difficult to read. I mean, it, it's not like he's quoting Peter Benchley or something. <laughs> <laughs> the Leviathan Rose. Or Penthouse Letters. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. he teased a firm nipple. And uh, obviously, he has and we fought argument, back. The argument of Worf. Which oh, I yes. thought was shit. He'd never call Worf a coward. Yeah. No, I found that very like that line very difficult. I was like, what? Really? You're, you're frightened. No, uh, fuck off. That's a petulant. That's a petulant argument because you know you've well, lost. Why is Picard money. being petulant? Is Picard like at his most worst and being like? It really is. Yeah, just like he's throwing his. Like, you know, toys out the prime. It's like, no, what an idiot! I just, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Picard here in this film. That's all. That's because he's a dick. Yeah, it's because he, yeah, he's a total. That's a dick. That's why he's not the Picard we'd have in the TV. And he goes back. He goes back. He goes back to save his pet robot. <laughs> pet robot. Um, I, I must admit, I, I do like when Picard actually does apologise to him. I, I do. I apologise. Uh, I regret some of the things I said that years. I'm more like some. 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 Yeah, it's like quite cool. <laughs> all of the things you said. Well, in, in matter of fact, I think you're the most brave, the bravest man I've ever met, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah he tries to make it up, doesn't he? But no, I think um, I, I 
Quite like kind of, in it's kind of dumb calling like a Klingon chicken, isn't it? Really, it's like it's just not in their fucking nature, <laughs> quite frankly. No, I think Wolf was quite right in saying, you know, if you were any other man, I'd kill you where you stand. It's like, oh Christ. <laughs> yeah, but again, have we really been? So- I mean, hand to hand, once they notice you, they're kind of scary because they can now infect you from from point blank range. But they haven't really, as I say, the film made a mistake starting off with the Borg being quite easy to beat. Yeah. And, and now it's like, well, so what? And he goes to save Data, and I know I know, he's one of the most popular characters, Brent Spider, but it's like, the needs of the many and all the rest of it, you know what I mean? There's two of you on a crew of like 1,012 or something silly like that. I don't really buy any of this. And, yeah, it, it's all a bit... And Brent Spiner... There is a cadence to the term resistance is futile. But of course, some Americans pronounce it futile. Mm. And they they let Brent Spider do that reading and it's bollocks. It's Mm. resistance is futile. There's a cadence to that. It's not resistance is futile. (laughs) So that was a shitty line reading. And does he have his emotion chip on at this point? She switched it back on. Ah, yes, of course. Mm. By, you know, plot. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow. (laughs) Somehow. 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 Same method they got on the ship, actually. Somehow, yeah. Somehow, yeah. Star Trek could on somehow. I'm surprised they needed an interplexing beacon when they could have just somehow. (laughs) (laughs) And then the Borg just turn up immediately from the Delta Quadrant somehow. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah, I like your idea, Becca. It should be called Star Trek somehow. Yeah, Star Trek somehow. <laughs> and, and, and it's quite convenient to have that like um, gassing just smashing, just flood everywhere. That that conveniently kills all the bug. It's quite convenient. I mean, <laughs> it's very convenient. Yeah, it liquefies organic matter on. Yeah. On such. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so basically, the bug's plan is basically to sh- to shoot the ship. Yes. Right, why aren't they busy like assimilating Earth then? That's why I don't get. Well, because the the Vulcans will turn up, not the Klingons. But why um, they just assimilate Vulcans then? I, I don't know what they're scared <laughs> of. I mean, as hard fuckers go, the Vulcans aren't aren't the biggest deal. They're really good at science and stuff, and it's like quick assimilate them before a mathematician turns up. <laughs> it's like you know, and you fired on Montana and hit everything but the fucking shit. Uh, it's just bollocks, and they they miss very slightly, which uh, the crew of the Phoenix, which is basically Riker, the Forge, and Zephram Cochran, don't seem to notice they're being fired on. Uh, they're quite. They're, he panics at seeing the ship, but when he's fired at by them, it's like nah, it's no problem. I mean, I mean, to me, it does the the shot does kind of go behind him, and I can't imagine they'd have like the technology to go like we've been fired upon in the ship they're in. Uh, but they were looking. They were looking out the fucking window. Yeah. Okay. True. <laughs> it's like that's quite foolproof as technology goes. Yeah. <laughs> that's what makes the stealth ship in Die Another Day fucking bollocks. It's uh, not <laughs> Die Another Day. Tomorrow never dies. Because like it's over there. You can see it. Look. It makes tracks. Yeah. Doesn't make tracks on water, Becca. <laughs> no, but you can see the you know the jaw and everything. So that's a big track, obviously. Follow that blur. <laughs> Tire marks. You can follow it by its wake. How about that? Okay. Um, 
So, yeah, and a load of stuff with the Borg Queen. She gets angry with Data, and then lots of climby, climby, fighty, fighty. <laughs> well, yeah. he's got quite good reach because, like, Picard, like, sort of climbs up on some uh, convenient ropes that are just, like, dangling there so he can climb away from the gas. Uh, she has guns. She, 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 yeah, she jumps up, and then, like, <laughs> And uh, Data just like sort of just grows like ten inches and just grabs. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is fully functional. He's taller. How does that happen? Yeah, it's just yeah. He just reaches up and that's that. Sort <laughs> yeah. of... Oop, there he is. I know. Um, yeah, and I know it's not a massive budget film, but the CG there looks awful because that's a CG sort of gas, if you like. It. Yeah. It's yeah. Very good. It is quite. But I mean, the, the it, it's just. I, I just look at it. I, I just get whenever I watch this and next week's film. I just get the occasional moment of clarity that like I'm watching it and it's fine and no problem. And I suddenly think that's a very muscled version of Patrick Stewart in a fucking vest doing action <laughs> shit. What's happened? What's happened there? <clears throat> Becca pointed out earlier about his fucking pecs and, and you know, <laughs> biceps and stuff. He's really worked out for this, and I'm thinking, are we supposed to get him confused with Jean Claude Van Damme or something? (laughs) (laughs) This is fucking bollocks. It's John Luke, and he has to he has to do the kind of they have to have the little bit at the end of the 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 spinal column. Yeah, yes, which which looks like which looks like a bit of a Terminator. Yeah, I was going to say, I just I instantly thought Terminator. And, and we and we don't cut to the third sort of part of this triangle, you know, down to earth with like you know Troy just looking bored in the bar because <laughs> the people on Earth at this point will be doing fuck all. In fact, none of them actually know any of the shit shits going on, do they? Really, they're all just down there, uh, down, down there, oblivious to like. Well, I don't know. You could have you could have LaForge looking in the uh, uh, telescope and going, "It's all beautiful." <laughs> Because he just wants yeah. to romance anything that's a shit. Well, he's basically the Scotty of the uh, of this. Yeah, but Scotty never sort of whipped it out over his ship, did he? Well, pretty much. I mean, he'd fight you if he said that the Enterprise was a piece of shit. He'd like fucking right. <gasps> he didn't romance it though, did he? I think he did. You know, he was like, you know, anyone anyone mention how anything good like about another ship, he, he, he'd be like. It's not as good as the Enterprise. You know, it's like... <laughs> so anyway, they go to warp to... Was it Magic Carpet Ride? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Classic um, Which is great. Work for three people on that ship. No problem. Lily and Lily would have sorted it out if she'd been there, I'm sure. Um, so the Enterprise have basically won. They killed all... It, it reminds me of the Avengers, where they kill like one thing and the rest of them just drop dead. Yeah, well, it's like it's like Star Wars, isn't it? The um, the droid control. Yeah, but at least there they are completely droids. I can imagine. Oh yeah, that's true. Doesn't really make sense here. Sorry, but, Dave, um, sorry, Dave, I don't know what's wrong with my brain. When you said the Avengers, I didn't think of the Marvel Avengers. I thought... Like, oh, sure. yeah. I was Sean like... Connery had a yeah. I was like... <laughs> and I was like... I, I sat there thinking, like, oh, he means that one. Why the fuck did I not think of that straight away? <laughs> Why was that my first go-to one? Me and John Steve's cool. <laughs> never feel this hot. Where are you finding um, him with Evan? <laughs> I was... Yeah, I, so... We're kind of at the end now. It, 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 you know, they 
they break the warp drive. Um, uh, they break, sorry, the warp barrier. Uh, the, the the Vulcans turn up with no kind of no safety protocols at all. Mm. No, no. Sort of, no wait in orbit and see if you can contact them. Just fly down and just jump out. Just go hi, hi. hello. Hi. <laughs> um, and the Enterprise is sorted. And it's wrapped up really easily, isn't it? Very quickly. It's wrapped up so quickly. It's wrapped up like a TV episode. To the tunes of Ubi Doobie. I'd say, that, 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 again, this, this is what I was talking about at the beginning with the, the, the score. And the, the I mean, the, the first contact scene is, is really beautifully done. Um, and the music is wonderful. But again, it's kind of, there's a the little bit where Lily and um, Zephyr Cock can hold hands. You're thinking, why is that important? They, they've not been together for the whole film. And then a Suddenly, it's kind of supposedly this kind of weird, kind of emotional moment. If it's meant to be some stretched metaphor for humanity coming together, yeah, they started the film as friends and partners, you know, working partners. Yeah. So, but but the 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 music there really kind of brings it together, Mm. and then Roy Orbison ruins it. Can can I uh, can I ask a question now? In case I'm missing something, but uh, did they establish how they're going up, getting back? To the actual time. Yeah, there's just some nonsense about being. Oh, yeah, just gonna fly around the sun. Again. Yeah, just just copy. Uh, just fly around this. the sun, right? Okay, got <laughs> just 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 copy what they did. Yeah, <laughs> it literally is. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, well, you don't need to bother. You know, time travel's a piece of fucking piss now. <laughs> um, and also, there's a strange thing in the effect that, like, when the Borg cube, uh, sorry, Borg sphere, if you like came through the temporal wake was around the ship almost like a shield whereas when you see it in space they seem to sort of set it up several yards in front of it so it's really weird it looks awful it's really stupid it's really convenient and i just think like make you you need to have thought this through a bit more and we've got no sort of them back in their era we just leave them dancing, and I just feel the film. They'll get back somehow. Just feels a bit incomplete <laughs> to me somehow. I suppose it is vaguely entertaining where you see the the, the shock of the Vulcan. Uh, yeah, because he leaps immediately to his feet. It's almost yeah. like it's almost like his fight or flight mechanism. Yeah. Like, oh, for fuck! Oh, fuck! I was like, no, it's just for Wilson. I do kind of look like the look on uh, Zephram Cochrane's face. James Cromwell's really like, yeah, don't worry, it's just this. There's yeah. more nuance in his acting when we don't hear him than there was throughout the rest of the film. Do you think there's a missed opportunity with all the stuff happens on the earth with uh, James Cromwell and his character, and they could have done more work with that? And made what would you have um, liked to have seen? I just, I, I don't know, I just probably more like add more substance uh, and make it make it a bit more like meaningful because you are talking about like. How like like a like a, a huge huge important like moment in the in Earth's history, you know, in mankind's history, and the fact that his character is kind of a bit of a a mess, but you know somehow manages to achieve something that somehow that, that, somehow somehow. <laughs> but but you know, but it's like he you know it's it's like a, like a door like that from that moment when he when he when he, when he sees the Vulcan and meets him, you know. It could be like a like a dawning moment for him, you know, to lead mankind forward. You know, it, it could have there could have been something there. Well, it, it it kind of feels like two television episodes stitched together. Yeah, it does. That on their own, 
one dealing with the the Borg and the, and the ship, or even that pushed to a feature length one, and other one dealing with Zephyr and Cochrane, they could have been interesting um, stories if fleshed out on their own things. But because they're put together, again with the, the Lily subplot as well. So you've got these three different subplots going. Everything's stretched out so much. There's barely any time to explore anything, which is why everything is just pushed down to archetypes and terrible ones at like that. It's rushed. It's really, really rushed. And, okay, our heroes, when they achieve the thing they set out to achieve, don't suddenly become saints. I understand that. But at the same time, he, he got to experience something no human to that point had experienced. And his reaction to that is a quick handshake and then back to business as usual, getting yeah. pissed in the bar. And I'm thinking, I don't buy that. That's not quite right. He shouldn't be transformed, but perhaps he should be a little bit humbled and maybe a bit quieter somehow for a moment. I, I get, yeah, while he absorbs it. I guess the idea is them to exchanging cultures. It's I like, think it's great. I actually say, like, I oh, like, look, pre- this is music, and I we think, have I a think good it's time and great dance. As a shot, yeah. Um, I mean, that's the idea of it. But now you said in that so, that, that context, it does it is it, it is you know open to ridicule now. But um... no, nobody's learned a fucking thing <laughs> once again. <laughs> um, and. I, I don't really get what's going on with the Borg Queen and Data. I mean, if you want to like make him human, or at least make him approximate human, uh, your method for doing that is to give him a human uh, middle third to his forearm and the upper third of the left hand side of his face. That 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 as a roadmap to becoming humans a bit haphazard, isn't it? Yeah, it's like this tempting flesh. Oh look, five centimeters worth. Yeah, <laughs> not a lot of it. But he gets it on well, his face as well. I know, but only part of one third of like. Yeah, he looks like yeah. goatee. And an eye, and an eye with as a well. pointy bit. I know, it's really fucking weird. And one of the hangovers, <laughs> one of the hangovers from the show, I've never liked. And again, it's a budgetary thing, so I don't want to be too harsh. Is whenever in the show they they used to occasionally take off like part of Data's like hair mm. to expose like three or four inches by three or four inches when they had to do something in his brain. And it was, it would always be basically a bit of plastic that was meant to look a bit like Chrome um, with a load of like Christmas lights over it, multicolored. <laughs> it looked, it used to look really cheap and nasty, but it's, it's carried over to the film. It's it like a little bit like it's typical nineties, it, like Cybertron-esque makeup, isn't it? It's Christmas lights. It's it's a TV show upgraded to TV, upgrading to film, and it's really odd because for the most part it looks cinematic. What did we all think of? Assuming we have an opinion, did we think anything at all about the new Enterprise, the ship? Oh, I love it! It's beautiful. It, it was really? all right. It, it it did its job. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, it just it just looked like a jazzed up film version of uh, the you know the. The, the enterprise from the next generation really so it's, it's, well they've, they've taken like different parts from it because I remember the designer talking about it and how he looked at um, Wrath of Khan and in Wrath of Khan that's where they, they kind of go crazy on the neck of the enterprise so he took the neck away and just put that straight into the 
into the, the kind of the, the saucer and it kind of it's not it's got the kind of more lines in terms of the basic structure of the uh, of the original enterprise where the uh, the nacelles are kind of high up parallel to the saucer instead of the the enterprise d where they're quite far it's down really squ- it's really squat the enterprise d mm. was the offspring of like a mother who must have taken thalidomide while she was pregnant <laughs> Oh, that's rough. Oh. Um, it, no. What I mean is that the cells are very short. The body of the ship is very big. And that's okay for a four by three image. Yeah. It's not great for like Panavision. No. Whereas this has a great deal of length to it. It looks a lot more aggressive, but without looking like the bizarre muscle car of the reboots. So I actually love this ship. I think it's gorgeous. Whilst nothing will ever be as elegant as that blue light on the original, the blue deflected mm. bitch, I do really, really like the ship. I wish we'd seen more of it. Well, it's interesting that it kind of changes little bits in the, the, the next couple. They kind of make more adjustments to it. Where it's do they? Sort of, Charlie, I've never to, really noticed. What do they yeah, change? Yeah, because they, they just the kind of... The, they change some of the nacelles and stuff and just change yeah. some of the colours and the structure. Yeah, if you look at the, the difference between the ship in, in this one and then the ship in um, in um, Nemesis. Oh, in Nemesis, okay. Yeah, I think there's a couple of changes in Insurrection, but... I'll look out for it. Yeah. Yeah, but Nemesis particularly, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite different. Um, and I believe as well that this it was the last Star Trek film to feature models. I can believe that because when we get to when we get to um, Nemesis, and I don't want to rag on Nemesis now. I, I, I honestly don't know. Genuinely, I don't know how I'm, how I'm going to feel about that film. I haven't watched it for a while, mm. but I don't know if it's just the very green color palette that film has. But this, there is something a bit fakey looking about the ship, and I'm not a CG hater. There's been a lot of CG that looks real enough. Thank you very much. Yeah. But but I can tell it's a model here. Um, and I'm not sure by the time we get to Nemesis. Yeah, because it, it looks quite digital in Insurrection as well. So I think that's it for, for um, uh, the, the actual film. We'll, we'll come to final thoughts in a minute. I do feel kind of a little bit uninformed on it, though. I don't know about you, Charlie. I don't was, know about you. Uh, is there something more we can learn about this film? Something that's kind of educational, but maybe a little exciting, a little, a little fun, like maybe? Blue Peter, but they're all naked. Or even the dog. John John Noakes and Bonnie. It's Janet Ellis? <laughs> if, if, it's, if it's Janet Ellis, then I'm down with it. Okay. I think that's before my time. Janet Ellis naked. Oh, what? <laughs> While we go down on Sarah Ellis, Becca, have you got any fun facts? I, don't I didn't expect that to come up tonight. No, going we... down on Janet Ellis. That's what she said. Hey, I wonder yeah, if, what I wonder if Ryan's listening because he's a huge Sophie Ellis Baxter fan. Oh dear. Oh dear. Ah, sorry. Well, I have to apologise. In, in We're all advance. talking about you and her mum. <laughs> well, we're glad you're back with us, Chris. Anyway, after your brief sojourn into the stars, she, she looks a bit Vulcan, doesn't she? Um, does she? Sophia looks better. She does a little bit. She does. Anyway, a serious face. Anyway, yes. So, <laughs> <Fun facts better. laughs> yes, I have some fun facts. 
Tom Hanks was considered for the role of Liftron Cochrane, but he was unavailable due to filming that thing you do at the same time. Um, yeah, apparently he's a so- huge Star Trek fan, isn't he? Yeah, he's a huge Trek nerd. How about um, that? Dog, although the role was actually written for James Cromwell. <laughs> it was, it was. And obviously, Glenn Corbett sadly died of a cancer um, several years before. Um, I think he, he, it, various, he played one of the various iterations of Oh, he would have been in the original the series, yeah. And yeah, at this point, serious, he, he 30 years, but it was possible if he was younger at the time. He obviously died a bit young. Yeah. Oh, that's nasty. Okay. So, um, I don't know if that, does that qualify as a fun fact? <laughs> I think Cancer! That's, 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 that's fun fact! <laughs> no, can't say a that. A sober um, fact. I think Tom Hanks is quite a fun fact, though. He's everywhere at the moment, so it's all good. Um, other yeah, news... just at the moment. No. <laughs> it's, 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 it's 15 minutes of fame or I'll do, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he's going to last, to be honest with you. <laughs> His career won't come to anything, I don't know. It he won't ever win in the Oscars or, you know. When it worked with Spielberg. 20 years later, something about, you know, some fucking pilot done. <laughs> <laughs> some man on an island somewhere, I don't know. It makes me laugh now that it's, it's almost can you hear people talking about that it was almost or maybe Tom Hanks should be in a comedy as if it's some radical kind of thing. Yeah, as if these got... people haven't seen Bachelor Party or big. Bachelor Party. Yeah, no, is, is Bachelor Party the one? Oh no, that was um, Buzzard Buddies, wasn't it? That was a TV program, wasn't it? Yeah, Bachelor that's, Party what, was that, that's where they lived in a women's only fucking block dressed as women. <laughs> And with with hilarious consequences. Yeah, Bachelor Party was the one. To where be honest, he was I, am I the married. only one who was really gutted when he gave up comedy? No, he was because he. Was oh, has, has he officially given watching, up comedy though? Is he just? You, well, um, the last one he did was about 1989, so I suspect he's on hiatus at least. Okay. <laughs> No, but is it just one of the things he's like, he's not like come out and said, oh, I'm giving up on comedy. It's just like, it just happens to... Well, he suddenly became, became this kind of dramatic... Was it, was it Philadelphia that kind of was his breakout kind yeah, of dramatic I guess, role? I guess, I, yeah, I guess it was. And the thing is, when you watch something like Captain Phillips in the final scene of it, he is really talented, so I'm not knocking it. But when I think about Tom Hanks, I immediately think of like Big and stuff yeah, like exactly, that. I yeah. love fucking Tom Hanks in yeah, that sort of mode. He's really funny. So... We've had cancer and dismay at Tom Hanks's career trajectory. <laughs> what fun are we going for next, Becca? Well, oh if, dear. Speaking of Tom Hanks, I actually found out today that uh, the same guy who did uh, Joe versus Volcano was the same director who did Doubt, which is like two complete. Those, and that, those is two fi- di- to- films. They're two very different films, aren't they? Yeah, They're yeah. Quite... It just and that, that was the two. Uh, I've forgotten the name of the director, but that that was uh, like his John, team directing. John Patrick Sandy, yeah. Yeah. Which is like, you could not ask for more collected two films. <laughs> it's a very eclectic choice yeah. of film. It shows how, di- you know, how diverse they are as a director. Okay. I'm sure. Anyway, this has been fucking brilliant fun so far. Can we have some more? <laughs> <laughs> no, we would have seen another um, cameo, obviously, from um, Harley Mad Burdock from the movies, and from, eight, from 18 even. But we would have seen a cameo from Avery Brooks, aka Benjamin Sisko. Um, but his scene ended up on the cutting room floor. So I wouldn't have seen coming from him. Um, 
Lukutus is obviously Latin for he speaks or he speaks to us. You say obviously, I didn't know. Although it's obvious now when you talk about it. Well, it's obvious when you, you yeah, when you look about it. It's quite interesting, exactly. Um, and she's the and also, ma- he is the mouthpiece for humanity. Yeah, so that just kind of makes sense. It's like when you, I was like, oh yeah, what does that mean? And then I was like, oh yeah, actually now it makes sense. Um, Plot and... divider, divide us. <laughs> wait, wait. So what do we know the sequence that Benjamin Sisko is supposed to be in? I, did I, I imagine it's the battle scene at the beginning, isn't it? I would have thought. Yeah, there's a scene where he's kind of giving some orders near the be- near the where start. Would and... Where would you okay. beat him to, though, if it's a drift? But so, I don't know. Again, again, this this no, is this, this is the thing that is kind of a problem in Star Trek, and the fact that they've got all these different series is there's you have these big kind of conflicts, but all these you don't you don't see everyone there. So, like, fair enough. Obviously, it's a, Deep Space Nine is a while away from Earth. But if and you've got the Borg coming through, so I guess you've got Picard there. But you're still having the Defiant there. So Worf, I mean, the only reason there really is so Worf can be brought on to as be a part of the Next Generation crew. I think but, the clue is the name Deep Space Nine. True, but if, if the Defiant came from Deep Space Nine, but it was given to Worf to, to captain anyway, um, <clears throat> and then um, but it's like when you think about the Dominion. In the uh, in Deep Space Nine and the, the TV program, and how that was this huge, massive, joke, way bigger than anything the Borg had ever done in terms of the kind of conflict that had happened, and they never ever think to involve involve the um, involve the Enterprise. It's very difficult, and I, I don't really envy them in a lot of ways that they're trying to balance the fact that you've got this fan base of existing fans, some of whom watch everything Star Trek, know everything Star Trek. And the moment you get something wrong, they'll be all over it. Mm. You've got people who've just watched the television series and that's it. You've got people who just watch the films and that's it. And it's very difficult. And to try and build a cohesive universe cross-platform like that is quite difficult. We see it even now with Marvel. As much as you've got Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and you've got Daredevil and all the rest of it, that sort of it's all connected mantra is starting to go out the window that people are like, yeah, only loosely and it doesn't really matter. So Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can fuck off. I think if they called it Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can fuck off, I might watch it. <laughs> I think they, they probably might be doing soon. It's like this new series has got those lowest ratings, hasn't it? The, so. the point is, it's not as uh, when you try and do these things, it's never all as essential as as they make it out to be. And so these fan service cameos, I don't think they really add anything. And I think cramming them in just makes it all feel a bit disjointed. It feels very much more spiked fan service as well, doesn't it? It just feels like, you know, it's just there for the sake of being there. Well, it's just the whole principle of, like, yeah. just tell us a story. I had the problem last week. I mean, Picard, uh, sorry, Picard Kirk, well, it's nice to have them together. You've completely fucked mm. it up. But as a concept, it's not a bad one, but... It was this business of he has to be in it, and it's like, well, yeah. just concentrate on the film first, and if, and if he's in it, great. But we yeah. end up with this Nexus device, which is isn't very good as an idea, and it's it's all that you've put the personnel on the board first, then tried to figure retrofit everything to that. Would you, would you have missed Worf if he wasn't there? Uh, I don't dislike Worf at all, but no, no, I I I, I don't have a problem with them getting him him involved actually but no not at all yeah I, I, I think crews do change over time yeah and especially if he's off doing stuff on Duke space nine yeah uh, so you see yeah, i'm missing but... guy then 
Um, Geiner, naturally, I, I do remember hearing. I can't remember the exact number. It's it's something like nine or thirteen. It's it's quite low the number of episodes she was on because when when that was put to I think it was um, Levar Burton. They were talking about it. I think it was one of the extras on the season two um, Blu-ray where they, they sort of had a round table, all the actors. And they were like, it felt like she was in more. It felt like she was ever present. Mm. A bit like you. It's much bigger in the lore of the show than actual screen time dictates. So do I miss Whoopi Goldberg? Well, you could argue that, but relative to her time on the show, she already gets disproportionate time because she's in this and she's got a little cameo in Nemesis. That's already a lot more pound for pound than mm. she's on the TV show. On the TV show, 179 episodes or 178 episodes, I think it was, and she's on like a dozen of them at most. I think it's a bit odd that she's not in it, even though, because she's meant to have a sort of connection with the Borg as well. Um, there is yeah. that point, yes. There is that point that so it's very odd that, of, of the know, films that put her in. You put her in the last one, but you didn't. But put, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't put her in this one, so that's kind of a bit strange. But oh, you know, I can appreciate that. Yeah, in terms of the TV series, certainly. But in terms she, of the she's films, she's probably been, been running around with the phaser. No. Well, let, let's face it. Like, if she was in it, you, she'd be essentially be Lily. I mean, like, you just she like, would. She you would. would just cut that character out and just have Picard and Guinan running around the Enterprise. Essentially, like with Gaiman, it would Kami, be a different Kami, dynamic because, because obviously she's not on a ship she doesn't know, and you don't have to explain everything. To, but but yeah. it will be essentially like Picard lose, losing his shit and Gaiman saying like, "Whoa, calm down, sunshine." You know, <laughs> you, you need to deep. It'll be it'll be, it'll be pretty much like that. The, the same thing, uh, but with that character. I mean, otherwise there's no place for her. Have we got a, I, I, There's no doubt this has been amazing fun so far. Are there any more? Are there any more facts to finish off the fucking hilarity we're enjoying? <laughs> I've got a couple of more fun facts. Okay, Becca. Um, well, this is any listeners in Sweden are probably going to have a go. Um, but yeah, Borg obviously Lily thinks not Swedish, but it means fort or castle or citadel mm. in Swedish. That's also um, why. Um, that's also why VJ Armitage isn't in this film because <laughs> he got nowhere against Borg. No. <laughs> so not appearing in this film. So yeah, final fun fact. Um, until the Trek series was rebooted in 2009, this film was apparently um, the most liked of the cast and also held the record for the highest worldwide gross of any of the Star Trek films to date. That's the end of the fun fact. They, this one, um, this did 146 million worldwide, 92 at the US box office. Um, to put that in context, uh, Star Trek Four did in the 130s. Last week's did 118. So, um, and when we get to Nemesis, it drops down to about 66. So, um, yeah, good, good, solid gross. But again, just to put it in context, and I obviously, I often use this series as an exam, as a comparison. Goldeneye the year before did 352. So, as we've said all the way through this series. When we talk about the success of Star Trek, it's only relative to itself. Was was there much around at the time? Because just thinking of Nemesis, because Nemesis came out in December, literally the the same kind of. Well, funnily enough, Diana the the Towers and that time the two towers. Yeah, I mean, toxic word of mouth didn't help it. Plus an eight crew and all the rest of it. But yeah, it came out against a lot of competition. I don't know about this. I remember it coming out came out November the 22nd in 
uh, America. I remember that, and we got it three weeks afterwards. We got it mm. in December. I just that's just stuck in my mind. I can remember where I was. Um, I remember the TV being on, and you had that stupid shitty na- national lottery show, and they appeared on that. The the crew. Oh yeah. Um, was that, was that when it first started? No. Yeah, I, you're fighting the Borg this time. You know that every guest has to be spoken to like they're two years old. It's, it's so weird when they do this. Cause I I remember um, the original Master Chef had Sigourney Weaver on it. What? When when when, when she did oh, yeah, Alien, what did she cook? When she did Alien Three, because <laughs> they they have the celebrity judges, didn't they? I don't know what it's like now, but and they had Sigourney Weaver on it when when um, when she did Alien Three. Right. Oh, okay, I'll have to look at that. So yeah, you got Dale Winton or whatever it is going. <laughs> so you're fighting the Borg this time. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's one step away from. What the, oh, where the fuck is Dale Wilson these days? I just realised on the radio. I think. Is he? Ah. Uh... We just realised. <laughs> Hang on a minute. I've forgotten about Dale. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just only realised. Hang on, mate. I've not seen him in TV in ages. That's and he's, got his, not, he's got his radio that's, show. That's radio because program. you're not watching camp quiz shows aimed at students. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the point. I've, I actually have a. I actually have a lot. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm a. I'm a student who is too, too busy. I say, even though you're a student, you're only not... in one sense of the word. Yeah, I'm, I'm, oh. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student who actually has to turn up to lectures rather than like <laughs> you like kind of. It's kind of like yeah, as long as you have to do the assignment, it's fine. It... The fact <laughs> is, it, by Star Trek standards, very very well. So uh, I think what what surprised me about this film was there was quite a gap to the next one by Star Trek film standards, and they moved away from like this the things that made this film work in the public eye they they went totally against next time which surprised yeah. me uh next thing's film is is kind of unremarkable but it's not an unlikable film it's no it, it's relatively inoffensive to say the least and it's very very star trek in its themes but there you go uh, final thoughts on this film because obviously we were about to do that and um we we went into the fun facts and boy weren't they fun cancer and stuff. <laughs> I've always had problems with it. I enjoy it. It's a well made film. I can see why so many why, why it's got such a good um, <coughs> reputation. Yeah. But it's such a missed opportunity <coughs> on so many different um, levels. Yeah, I I can watch it, but it just so much of it falls apart. And uh, it just, just, yeah, just doesn't come together for me. Yeah, it, it's an enjoyable watch. Um, it's just, you know, if if you just switch your brain off and don't think, just go with it, you're fine. But I think if you start to actually analyze the analyze it properly, it 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 does fall apart. So like 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 days viewing, you know, he's he's looking at scenes how and how it works, and it's just and it just doesn't come across as a, as a good film. But if you just like. Just like just blow caution to the wind and just not think about anything. It it, it flows along nicely. Um, it's it's not very original. I think it offers anything new, but it's fine. I'm in danger for the first time, and I, I'm not saying this will happen, but it's now quite close in my mind whether I'm going to put this above or below Generations. And as enjoyable as Generations is, and and as comfortable as I was just being around that film. Um, it's deeply flawed and there are a lot of problems and they're trying to hit like a tick list of things. This film should rank above it in so many ways. 
I don't go into films genuinely. I know we watch them with a critical eye for this show, but I don't go into films wanting to destroy them. I go in wanting genuinely to enjoy them. Mm. Um, and if I can ignore flaws, I will. I can point them out and talk about them. But if they don't bother me, I'll say, well, I noticed this, but it didn't bother me. Yeah. You know, sometimes get that with continuity error or sort of bad effects or something like that. With this, it was actively getting in my face today. It felt just like, oh, no, no, I can't ignore that. That doesn't make sense. And I don't like the way that seems to be. My biggest problem this time was the dialogue. The dialogue was just so, you can do better than this. The writers, Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, whatever their relative flaws and qualities as writers, they can do better than comment comment question mark explanation and that's the way it went all the way through the film the 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 dialogue is awful and it's just structured really odd you this supposedly unbeatable villain and you start the film off effectively defeating them really easily and the only reason they carry on is because somehow and that's my problem with this film it's not as terrible as i'm making it sound i've always enjoyed it but I watch it now and I think, yeah, I, I come kind of, as much as I loved you guys on TV and as much as you can work on film, I think, I'm missing the original crew now because this film just isn't doing it for me. It's, it's, okay. in, it's interesting how um, differently or how easy it's, it's to the original crew have translated to the big screen. Um, the, the next just cinematic, aren't they? Yeah. You know. Yeah, you keep saying that, Chris, and, and I take your point, but I'm not sure I agree, because Kirk, Spock and McCoy, yes, but, you know, Sulu sat at a fucking um, at helm doing and saying virtually nothing in most episodes. Um, <laughs> they used Uhura just to sort of put a finger on her ear and say, we've got so-and-so on line one. Um, <laughs> check off. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not saying they're all like Tom Cruise and that, but <laughs> I'm saying no. But the point I'm making is they're not cinematic. The only thing cinematic about them is name recognition. Sulu is, for some reason, more famous than Riker, but that again is the decades they've been around. Actually, the next generation are much, much better at spreading the load across its different actors. Um, so I don't necessarily agree they're more cinematic, but somehow. They were able to be reinvented. And I think it is the gap. I think it's the nothing really happened apart from the cartoon between 69 and 79. Mm. So when they came along, when they came back to the big screen, the powers that be had to really think about what they're there for. What do we want to do with this? And they probed at it and experimented. So they tried the motion picture, which Charlie's very fond of, but a lot of people find ponderous. So next time out, they go a bit more action. And you can see them thinking about how do we reinvent this very dated TV show for the big screen? With the Next Generation crew, they finished and went straight to the big screen. And this thinking about the reasoning behind what they're there for and what they want them to feel like on the big screen hasn't been done. They're on the big screen because the TV show's finished. It's as simple as that. And as a result, the films just feel so perfunctory in a way that for all their ups and downs, the original series fil crew films didn't. I guess that's the thing is, as well, where we we've, we've spend so much time talking about um, Patrick Stewart's pecs and how in shape he is, whereas actual things about being about aging and being in shape were so much actual themes of the films 
and the actors at the time. They let the, they let the original crew change, whereas the yeah. only changes here are the dumbing down for a mass audience. Yeah, if anything, they look better than they did in the series. You look at Deanna Troy, how different she looks in the films than she does in the uh, in the TV series. Although by the time we get to Nemesis, she totally forgets how to do her accent. Yeah. Yeah, it's all over uh, the place. But she goes very, very cockney. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, and exactly. We're talking about, you know, they, they didn't own the original film. The original film, it was two years supposedly after the next, you know, the five-year mission or whatever. Yeah. But by the wrath of Khan, they're like, right, they're 15 years old and we can't pretend they're this anymore. And the ship looks different. The acting is different. The way they interact with each other is different. This, they've just bunged it on the big screen and dumbed it down a bit. And, and the, 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 yeah, that's the thing. They're coming off. I mean, the, they, they went literally this the same year from the TV mm. to, the, to the films. That and time it, to rethink would have been yeah. beneficial. You should have been doing the first film Never. this year, not the second. Yeah. But, again, we're making it sound worse than it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of... But, but there's, there's, no, there's no inspiration in any of this, whereas the motion picture is about something. The Wrath of Khan is about something. Yeah. And you, you can compare the characters to the, the original series and even, the style. Even in Search of Spock and Voyage Home is about something. You know, whether it's successful or not, it's debatable. But, you know, mm-hmm. there, is, there, is an att- there is like an attempt there. Or there, there, there are ideas in there that here it is very much just like, oh, let's do, let's do another Borg episode. Yeah, well, again, pe- people use the, the, um, the term derogatory as saying it's a feature-length episode. Um, but it really does feel like it here because all the episodes, uh, all the Next Generation films, just really seemed like kind of cheap morality plays, mm. which is a lot of the, a lot of the, the series was about what, what happened in the series. So there's there's literally nothing that changes uh, other than the budget from the uh, from from the move to the big screen. I mean, next week's is, is a perfect example, and it's a film I actually enjoy. Next week enjoyed. is a TV is a TV film. Yeah, the whole thing is is something that easily could have been just a TV episode. And I, I don't think I'm going to slate next week too badly. I mean, there's going to be no, more. But, really like but, but at the same time, I I don't know why. The only reason I paid to see that is because there wasn't a TV show running anymore. That could have been done on television quite easily. Um, you would have had to cut the budget on the sort of action sequence with Riker flying the ship, but it would be almost ex- almost exactly the same film on TV. Yeah. Um, like, this is a, this feels a like little a bit... Like a special thing, like a... Like a, a two-parter or whatever, you know. I don't know. That. I don't know, because it's, again... I'm not because... even sure it needs to be that, yeah. No. I just think that, like, you, you can argue about how good this film is, and it's a matter of opinion. You can also argue whether it's the best next generation film. That appears to be the consensus. Whether we'll agree, we'll get to. But let, let's just give it that pass for a minute. Yeah. Let's just accept this is the best next generation film. If it is, that is damning with faint praise because it doesn't hold a candle to at least three of the original crew films. Oh, absolutely. No. no, totally. And I'm, I'm, that's why I'm always amazed to see the uh, um, the reactions it gets. 
and the, the the huge the huge following it has. I know Final Frontier just shits all over it, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Star Trek Three. I mean, obviously the rest of them were shit, but I'd put Star Trek Three above this. Um, I don't know whether I will or not. I think they're going to be quite close together, actually. Um, which would I rather watch now? Um, having watched this today and not had a great time with it, I think I'd stick Three on. But I think I think they're both films that, and this again comes a lot in the Star Trek films, that are much better. When you have no. a DVD with the uh, the the skip chapter button, uh-huh. yeah. because there's a lot of scenes which are are good to watch and are really powerful. It's, it um, doesn't feel essential very much of it. No, no. Um, I mean, next week's film's not essential, but it's got a couple of nice data lines and all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, none it's of these nice films are terrible. And even Nemesis. Nemesis gets talked around about like it's a die another day level abomination. I don't think it's anywhere near that. No. Bad. No, um, but uh, uh, having got one of the most successful television shows in history up on the big screen with a budget to match, we've got four films that are like, yeah, they're quite inoffensive. Yeah. Well, I don't like Star Trek V at all, but it had a shot at trying something. Yeah. And I just feel that possibly the search for Spock aside, they all had not the scale because they were cheap and cheerful, <laughs> but they had an ambition that I do not see in any of the next generation films. Do you think that was a Rick Berman thing? Yes, I think Rick Berman was extremely safety first. It's difficult when you're carrying someone else's legacy. And it... bear, bear in mind, at one point, he had Next Generation, which was biggest show in the world. Mm. Or one of the biggest shows in the world. He had Deep Space Nine, which was less popular but critically lauded. And he went on to have a couple of reasonably popular other iterations as well. And he managed a film series. So I don't want to slate Rick Berman too right, bad. But, but, but he was very, thought, very safe. Yeah, and there is a thought amongst fans that he kind of um, was not always, um, how should I say, well, there's, there's a, a certain kind of fan out there that is not necessarily appreciative of, of a lot of stuff he did in terms of making it, like you say, very safe. I think you see it when you... When right you watch, down to the music. Yeah, lot, you see lot, it when you watch Voyager. When you yeah. watch Voyager and it pisses away its premise in order to play it very, very safe. Yeah. If you play it safe, you can't get shouted out for shitting on anyone's legacy. Um. I don't know how much of that... Now, if you read the Bran and Bragas of this world, it sounds like it was Rick Berman. But bear in mind, Rick Berman's answerable to somebody. Yeah. And there are times that we read the studio wanted. So I, I, I don't want to pick too much fault. No. But supposedly the best Next Generation film, and what it's got going for its good score, uh, very, very good-looking, decent action sequence, beautiful new ship, Decent performances, Marina Sirtis aside. Um, um, but it's all very, you did this better on TV. Go and watch the best of both worlds. It's far better. Yeah. It is. It's just so much better. It's it tense really and scary and you don't know what's going to happen. Here, the first time the Enterprise sweeps in, it blows the fucking ship up. They're not that scary, are they? <laughs> Clearly not. Apart from their gift of somehow. <laughs> somehow. That's why this film was actually called Star Trek, somehow. Yes. 
Yeah. So somehow we have to end this podcast. She expected to talk or return with Star Trek Insurrection.